uh, Bob Shea, who ran uh, New Line, yeah. he loved the first cut, and he just gave the director carte blanche to just mm. enhance it the way he, he wanted. And he just took his eye off the ball. Mm-hmm. And um, people weren't, you know, <laughs> he, I think he learned his lesson. Yeah. And as a result of that, another movie that was coming out, in uh, with New Line called Blade. Yes, they were all over that director because of what happened with the director in Spawn. Right, and so I mean I knew that director too, and it was like Jesus Christ, what I. This is why. <laughs> right, right. You know, because, you know, Bob was, you know, easy going. It, it was kind of like, you know, it's a studio, but it was kind of like, I don't know, it was kind of like a family kind of, sure. you know, relaxed atmosphere there. And so they just trusted that the movie that the director was going to bring in for Spawn was just going to be better. Yeah. Um, you know, we haven't seen that guy since. Right, right. That's that's. I mean, he's alive. I know, I know, I know what you're saying. Yeah, but that's but, but, but that's the way this business works. Yeah, that's the way it works yeah. for sure. Welcome to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is episode 105. And, season uh, three, Troy. Season three. Oh, I guess we are officially in season three now. That's pretty we awesome. Are. Yeah. Congratulations to you. Uh, and to you as well. Uh, and to kick off season three, we had to have Sammy back, right? I, I'm just never going to leave. I've come to that conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. We need your intro music. My comrade yeah. is here. Yes, you uh, not like you not like vodka. <laughs> uh, Sammy is our good friend from the um, Comrades Guide to State Approved Cinema. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guess what? Top Gun Maverick better than Jurassic World Dominion. There you go. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> better than Moon Knight too. <laughs> Boy, right, well, hey now. Hold on. <laughs> Uh, hey, we're, we're talking comic book movies this month, which is super interesting. We kicked it off with Howard the Duck. John came on, schooled us. It was awesome. And Sammy, you're a huge comic book collector too. Like you're still collecting, right? Uh, yeah, not as much as I used to. I still buy the occasional things and stuff. I'm, you know, I'm tapped out as far as buying monthly issues, but occasionally I'll pick up stuff. Okay. Uh, and I know you are Brad, cause mm-hmm. this is one of the topics we talk about on a regular basis. Uh, th- this week you picked an interesting film and I think you picked it because this particular property itself, um, you, you've got a fondness for it, right? I do. I do. I, I think when this came out, when Spawn came out in 1992, I was nine years old. Mm. Um, and Spawn kind of fits the mold of like the alternative comic. Um, and, and in 1992, I was obsessed with grunge music, hip hop, and Spawn comics are in, in Spawn. And uh, so, yeah, I was an alternative kid. Let me uh, tell you. Ah, uh, the so, 90s. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> two years later, movies changed for me forever when I see Pulp Fiction. And it just, you know, the 90s is such a period for me. And Spawn is the comic series of the 90s for me. Um, it's still going on. Actually, I think Spawn is the longest running independent comic of all time. It's over 300 issues now. So it, uh, you know, it's not as big as it once was. Um, and I think the story behind 
those six guys leaving and forming their own company. Um, you know, I always love when I hear people kind of bet on themselves mm-hmm. and um, decide to do something on their own because they don't like the way things are going. Uh, we'll get into to image comics when we talk about spawn, but you know, yeah, this, uh, this property was outside of X-Men, the biggest influence of my sort of comic reading life and oh, my art okay. life. Like Todd McFarlane, when I was growing up was the artist I aspired to be um someone like rob lightfeld like he's not the greatest artist so he was like obtainable to me like i felt like when i was 15 years old i could draw like rob when i was 15 years old i couldn't draw anything close to todd mcfarland and he was kind of the gold standard so um wow yeah like his splash pages and things like that i mean his art is is amazing you look back on his spider-man run his uh non-adjective uh spider-man where it's just spider-man and you look at that stuff i mean it is it is really amazing um you know he was the one that kind of gave spider-man's webbing um the spaghetti effect um <laughs> we kind of get that in like the chains you know all that stuff that he did at his time at marvel you can see in the spawn character mm-hmm. the cape is basically a symbiote so you know his venom style is that so all that stuff he took with him um and, you know, he had this character back from the 70s and he just evolved it into Spawn. And it was a, a huge thing for me. So obviously you've read a few issues. I, yes. <laughs> okay. Just, so, yeah. just a few. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and Sammy- I think I've read, and, and I've got Spawn issue number one. You know, when it came out, it was, people were thinking oh if i buy this and hold on to it it's gonna be worth a lot of money one day yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. it's a 20 to 40 dollar book i've got one graded that's like a nine seven i think it's like a hundred bucks graded yeah. so yeah. it's not even worth getting it graded and yeah, then well, i have a, a black I, and white variant that yeah isn't that worth much either so yeah well image had massive print runs in the beginning because they were so hot so I, I want to say Spawn number one sold like 8 million copies or something yeah, crazy was, like that. I'll, I'll tell you, I don't know if Troy remembers this, but uh, you might, well, you were young, so I don't know, but 1992 is when Spawn hit the market. Yes. Uh, so it's 30 years old this year, um, <laughs> and which is crazy. I know. So I was 19. So I was old enough to hop in the car and say, got to get to the comic book store. Got to get these, got to get these new image books that are coming out. Young blood, wildcats. Uh, all this stuff. Gen 13 um, was, I think, a year after Spawn 2. Mm-hmm. So these independents were coming up in the early 90s, right? Trying to right. rival the Marvel and DC mega pl- uh, publishers. Yeah. Because they were going through a bit of a lull. They were kind yep. of in a creative kind of bankruptcy a little bit. But both of them, both companies were kind of... Mm-hmm. Comics come and go, just like film, just like any art medium. They kind of come and go. Um, So I went, I told some friends I was going to pick it up. And like four guys wanted to go with me. And I'm like, why you guys want to go to the comic book store? Like, man, we all got to pick up Spawn number one. It's Tom McFarlane's new book. It's going to be worth a thousand dollars in no time. Well, it wasn't, it never was, but it's one of the few books kind of like the death of Superman book and a few other books. It's one of the few books that would get people out to buy a book that aren't normally comic book readers really. Yeah. Well, it, you have to understand too, I, I think to put things in perspective and I'm sure there's a lot of podcasts that can go into a lot of detail on this. So I'm just going to give like the 50,000 foot view yeah, comics in the '80s were becoming more and more popular, 
and and you were getting rock star artists, they were getting notoriety. And when you get into the 90s, there was this theory that comic books from a speculation standpoint could be an investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and industry picked up on that and they started doing huge print runs. They were doing variations, collectibles. Oh man. Does anybody remember the Chrome foil variant? Covers? Chrome foil, mm-hmm. black and white. Very, I mean, you name 3D it. 3d ones, the 3d ones. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. I mean, get this one has a collectible card. Everybody was, you know, yeah. trying to get the, the new hot property or commodity. And basically there was a comic book crash in the nineties. Um, yeah. it, it really wiped out, um, a lot of the industry because I mean, it, it comes down to just basic economic supply and demand. And I, I think what people forget is when you look at some of the most expensive comic books and I'm thinking about, you know, the comic books that would have come out around the forties, et cetera. I think what people forget is the reason why those are so expensive is when you're in a war and you have to recycle and there's a paper shortage and everything else, comic books were the things that were being turned in to be recycled. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you would have comic book issues that would, withstand, you know, um, sort of the resource shortage of those wars, that's why there were so much. So, um, it, it was a crazy time because, you know, even as a collector going in and buying stuff, you had to be careful not to buy the hype or anything of that nature. But, oh, yeah. um, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting on tons of comic books that I'm sure at the time it was, you know, for $1990, spend $5 on this one comic book, which was a big deal for that time. Because oh, yeah. it was, you know, comes with a collectible card, 3D foil, has this different variation, might be signed by an artist. And today you could probably pick it up in like a 50 cent bin. Yeah, yeah. The, same, the same thing happened to the trading card market, the uh, baseball card. cards. Yeah, I baseball. remember. I remember that. So spot number one is the King Griffey Jr. top deck rookie card <laughs> is of comics. Like everyone thought that King Griffey Jr. 1989 uh, rookie card was going to be worth thousands. Yeah, uh, I remember yeah. saving my money, buying one. And I think it's worth less now than it was when, yeah. and they did the same thing. They printed a million of those. Yeah. And so, you know, supply and demand. I mean, I could probably go to my local comic book store now and find a spawn number one in great condition for, like I said, 20 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's Troy. Do you, do you know the tie between spawn and Howard the duck? Well, I, I just learned this, but okay. make sure we're going the same place here. Yeah. So Todd McFarlane, without getting into too much detail about him, I mean, he was a Marvel hotshot artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, superstar. Yeah, so yep. he he worked on a ton of um, comic series. I mean, I I have his run on the Incredible Hulk because I'm I'm a Hulk fan. That yeah. that that Incredible Hulk uh, cover with Wolverine yes. with the claws is probably one of the top twenty most famous covers of comic book history. Yeah. Um, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, so here's the thing. I, I have a, a little bit of a love hate relationship with Todd McFarlane. I like the Spider-Man stuff a lot. I am not a fan of his artwork in the Hulk at all. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Okay. I do I can, not. I, can, I do not like his version of the Hulk. I can see that. I can see that because his version of the Hulk is very different than I think. I mean, I mean, who is your version of the Hulk? Who is your favorite version? Of the Hulk? I, I will yeah. still go back to Kirby. I mean, all, all day yeah, long. Kirby. Yeah, Kirby. I mean, because I, I just like that traditionalist look. Well, love- and, and and I like, I love my my Hulk from the 70s because that's what, you know, the Defenders. I like John Buscema's um, Hulk and I like uh, Dale Keown's Hulk. Dale yeah, Keown's, the, yeah. Hulk Keown's good. But oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. When Mark McFarlane came in to draw the Hulk, I'm like, ooh, I, I don't get it, man. Um, It yeah. just, it, 
it, I don't know what it was. There's something about the Hulk that, um, and this may sound crazy, too many lines, too much detail on the body. And it really warped it versus looking uh, more classical muscle in nature, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It does. It does. But I, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I, I, really, I mean, only diehard McFarlane loyalists really love that Hulk run um, that I know of. I mean, it's an interesting run. I like some of the story elements in that run, but he's not known for his Hulk as much as he's known for, obviously, his Spider-Man. Yeah, and and to answer your question, I think this is where you're going, Brad. McFarlane, and I can't remember if it was Marvel Tales or so Marvel had a um, monthly series where they do team up tales, all this other stuff. He did an issue, I think, and and you know, Sammy's the one that led me onto this, but there's an <laughs> issue where he drew Howard the Duck and Peter Porker, yeah. the spectacular Spider Ham, which is another one of my favorite characters. Yes, yeah. but but also uh, Steve Gerber, the creator of um, Howard the Duck, sued Marvel over the rights for um, Howard the Duck because he created it. And um, when he wanted to leave, he wasn't able to take his character with him. Oh. Marvel essentially owned it. Um, and then it, it, there was like this kind of artist bill of rights, I believe is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there was sort of a profit sharing, but it it really wasn't to the um, artist's advantage to create this really cool character for this big company because the company was going to see way more of the money than they were, yeah. um, which was the kind of the genesis for those guys leaving and forming Image Comics, allowing them to keep their characters and um, allowing the artists to basically control whatever they wanted. Rob Lightfeld, obviously he was the young bloods. So he got to do whatever he wanted. McFarlane was um, spawn. So he got to basically have creative control over that. And that was kind of what image it still is today. What image is for is basically artists first, mm. which is interesting. Cause didn't Todd McFarlane like sue some people that he worked with collaboratively on spawn over some characters, which is <laughs> why we don't have some characters in the film because of a pending lawsuit. That yeah, was Cha- the Chapel time. being the one. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, cause that was a, a, a Rob Lightfield character. So yeah. that's why we got priest, but yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, easy but, to point. It's easy to point fingers until you become the corporation. Yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> so it's funny you say that, and I don't know about you guys. So I, I watched this week's movie, and I I'm, I also went back and watched some of the special features, and I had always I'll be the first to say like I've never read a Spawn issue in my life, never. And this week didn't really I don't know <laughs> motivate me to read one either. I did go back and because uh, I remember liking the HBO animated series they did. Uh, and they released that series on three DVDs as films, but they were they were just kind of taking mm. the episodes and putting them together. So I, I just went back and, and watched Spawn Two, um, the animated version. Mm. It, it's it's okay. Um, it's it doesn't. I, I, I like it a lot. I like it. Yeah, it's it's good. Uh, it, it nails the mood of Spawn the comic mm. more. Yeah, I, I and and I enjoyed it. It just it doesn't make me go like Gaga over the character or anything. Uh, but when I when I've always heard about Todd McFarlane, you know, there's kind of two sides to him. There's the artist portion and then there's the businessman because he actually has done uh, an amazing job in sort of building up this empire with McFarlane toys and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, just the spawn character and image. 
But when I, you do you know, guys remember when he bought Mark McGuire's seventy home run baseball for like a million dollars? It was like yeah. the most crazy yeah. thing in the time because McFarland at one point in time wanted to be professional baseball player, but he became an artist instead. Worked out pretty well for him. But yeah, yeah. he was a he was a center fielder, right? And I, I think some of, so. some of the um, characters in his comics are uh, I just modeled off of, of folks he played baseball with, like the Al yeah. Simmons character, et cetera. Yep. Uh, but I, I watched these interviews with Todd McFarlane, and I, I got to say that the guy's kind of douchey. Um, <laughs> and, and I actually think that as smart as he is from a business sense. Ar- arrogant might be the right word. Uh, yeah. yeah. Douchey. I, I, I like douchey. <laughs> I, I do like douchey, but, you know. Let me let me put it this way. Like Tom Cruise. He's an arrogant douche. <laughs> Tom Cruise gives off better vibes than Todd McFarlane in an inter- interview. So um, and that's couch jumping small. and all. He certainly smiles more. Yes, but there's there's just a side of Todd McFarlane where it's like uh, when he's talking about his characters in the genesis of the comic, I I like that version of him. When when he starts talking about the business and and anything outside of just him drawing something, it, I, I just think he's an idiot. And yeah. specifically, this quote that just threw me off. In in you can find this. <laughs> please don't don't go out and buy the spawn blu-ray i'm just or any version of this film that, just does that does that have a new interview with him is that was this, this a was new this was something from back in 1997 because he's talking okay. about the genesis of the character and the make, kid. Oh, yeah, this he, is when this is when he's on top of the world oh yeah yeah yeah. because you know um we'll, we'll get into the production and development but he makes this comment and i think this sums him up when he's not talking about the stuff that he's an expert on which which is the artistry but he makes this comment and he goes, man, everybody's racist. Um, I, I'm racist too. I'm just racist against corporations. <laughs> and I, <sighs> I hear that. And I'm like, oh my God, please stop talking. Last time I checked when I do a census, corporation <laughs> is not a part of, is it one of the race boxes well, I can check? I'm going to, I'm going to be devil's advocate here and say he was, we'll say 97. He would have been 31. Or yeah, thirty-one. Yeah, and at that point, you should know better. You really at thirty-one. Should. Yeah, at thirty-one, you should know better. But thirty-one, you should also know to keep your mouth shut. But also, mm-hmm. when you're on top of the world, you tend to make really stupid comments. I'm not making up for. I'm not taking up for him. He's made stupid comments throughout his career. Yeah, he has. I mean, that's that's um, an example of one of the many stupid comments yeah. that he's made. He's always he's always been arrogant. Yes. Uh, slash douchey. Uh, he's always kind of rubbed fans the wrong way. He's even rubbed the image guys and other people he's worked with the wrong way over the years. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, he's just a guy who has not handled success in the most uh, mature of ways. But if you were to create a comic book, Mount Rushmore, you could argue that he belongs there. Oh, I, I, 100%. Yes. yes. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. And, and this writing, is the thing. Writing-wise, yeah. he belongs in the Mount Rushmore toilet. Yes, I agree with that. Too. I thought that I okay. So I thought that, but there's some really smart things that go on in those first few issues of Spawn that I didn't really appreciate until I went back and read them. Um, I was thinking more of the Spider-Man run, but oh yeah, yeah, okay, okay, uh, yeah. No, I mean he's an artist first, storyteller second. It that's I will not argue with you there. Okay, well, to, for anybody who is not familiar with Spawn. I, I thought we could just kind of go through his superpowers, right? Or his abilities. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Okay. So I found he's this kind of, he's kind of Superman ish. Yeah. So he's got uh and full disclosure. I don't know how the comics um, 
handle all of this. Okay, so we're going through the movie superpowers for sure. Uh, I don't know. You tell me because I feel I, I feel like in the film he just gets super. There, well, there's like a whole Jedi training session, but let you tell me what well, what I'm okay. missing. We'll try to fill some things in here. Okay, we've got superhuman strength, speed, yep. agility, and endurance. Right. Yes. Yeah. Although okay. in the movie, in the movie, he seems to be wore out all the time. Yeah, he's very tired. <laughs> okay, so that brings the next one. So he's immortal to an extent, uh-huh. but um, his powers drain when used in full drainage of his powers could result in a death or if you chop his head off when he's drained. In the comic, there is a almost like a life meter that goes through the comic, at least in the first, I don't know how many issues. Yep. Every time he uses his power, he loses a little bit more of that juice. Oh, okay. He doesn't regain it. And I never really know how that panned out because I eventually I stopped reading the comics somewhere somewhere between I don't know seventy five and hundred I think. Oh, okay. Uh, accelerated healing, so he's a bit like Wolverine, right? Yes. Um, I I thought this was interesting. He's he's a highly skilled tactician, martial artist, swordsman, marksman, athlete, and acrobat. We're talking about Michael Jai White, or are we talking about Spawn? Spawn. Well, yeah. I mean, he was like a he was like a well trained military uh, guy, right? Military guy. He was a colonel. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Okay. So you colonel could Wild. argue he was trained well. Uh, teleportation. Yeah, he can be anywhere he wants to be. I guess. Okay. Shape shifting. Yes. Yeah. That's big in the first few issues. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the movie, he turns into like a wall, which I thought, hey, no, no, the cape is different. <laughs> The cape oh, is the cape is different. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so we said shapeshifting. So, so, so everybody knows McFarlane is obsessed with that cape. Yes, like he's more obsessed with that cape than he is with Spawn itself. Okay, which is why in the movie you have these ridiculous images where the cape tapes up the entire screen, but in the comic it's even more so. It's there's there's images in the comic where the the cape is ninety percent of the panel. Oh well, yeah, let's yeah. talk about that cape for a minute. So, uh, joy, the cape has a name. What's the cape? It's uh, K7 Letha, I believe. What? Yeah, it has huh? a name. It has a name. That <laughs> sounds like a prescription drug. Okay. It has a name. K7, got it. Troy looks like somebody ran over his dog. <laughs> okay. Um, Necro- the cape has its own set of powers, too, by the way. Yeah. Well, what are the cape's powers? Well, I mean, it can like camouflage him. It protects him, all this stuff. It, it, it acts basically like a symbiotic suit. Yep. Okay. Um, for spawn. Or, so it's or like a magic a, carpet to simplify it. For more it has, it basically gives them like extra arms and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, uh, necroplasmic energy blasts. <laughs> so that, that's the green stuff. That's yep. the green stuff. Okay. Resurrection, which I guess by default coming back to life. Is that really a superpower? Or is that just part of your origin? I don't know. To me, that kind of goes along with the healing power. I mean, I don't really see the difference in that. Okay. Um, energy and matter manipulation. So he can yeah. manipulate like the, so the, in the movie, it looked like he was manipulating like the motorcycle into something or well, that was, or was that again. him? That was the Cape, the Cape. Yeah. Yeah, that was the cape Got it. Okay. The, uh, the bat cycle. Uh, this, <laughs> I found multiple demonic powers. That seems really broad. It's very broad. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's about as broad as my death metal tape collection. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> Um, telepathy. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, so spawns an interesting character because spawn spends in the comic. He spends a good deal of his time living in the past Yep, in his head. Uh, and it's almost like if you 
read the first five issues or six issues of Spawn. It's almost like he's working through depression. <laughs> well, it, it, that's interesting because I honestly, I think everyone should read Spawn one through six. I think it's a great run. It's a great origin story. Yeah, maybe. Um, okay, Troy, <laughs> shut your mouth. I'm, uh, I'm going to buy a copy of the trade paperback for Troy. I'm going to send it to him. Yeah, you'll. <laughs> and it, it's told. You know, he. It's basically. It's really hard to convey amnesia in a comic and i think they do it really well in this um they do a lot of real smart things there's like an investigation going on with sam and twitch who become kind of a a a bigger part of the story so can i ask you guys something um just revisiting the the animated films are the animated films very close in nature to the story of the comics um remind me is is the kincaid character in that run uh they have chapel they have and and again i just went back well, and read the was, second one would, would have been like the ice cream truck like child molester yeah, yeah, okay yeah, yeah, right yeah, yes then yes okay because it and it was all coming back to me because I, I don't ask me why i just went to the middle because there's three of them i'm like i'm just going to two just to, yeah. as a refresher but he called he called a lot of heat for that ice cream child molester thing yeah yeah i, I remember because that's uh issue five Okay. And they, when Spawn basically murders this guy, and it they play somebody do finger painting or something where they take off fingers and stick yep. them on a board. Yep. Yeah. yeah, they're his children's fingers and stuff. And this should tell you how iconic McFarlane's art is. Yeah. Right this conversation. So because I can remember that. I can't always remember everything. I well, can, I can like that issue number one cover is like burned into my brain. I remember yeah. that cover, and yeah, I, I think it's again. But from a story perspective, is it in the beginning, a lot of it of Spawn going, oh, my God, who am I? What am I doing? And then let me remember a bunch of shit. And then, yeah. oh, I see this bad guy with a gun. I'm going to take him out. Oh, who am I? What's going on? Oh, where's my girlfriend? Oh, who am I? What's going on? Yeah. I mean- and then there's this clown that's making fun of me. And then, oh, my God, another flashback. Who am I? What's going on? So, is, that, is, yeah. that, is that how the comic book goes? A, a little bit, but I'd okay. say it, okay, good. It, it's it's darker than that. Yeah, oh, I'm well, sorry. It, Who am I in a really dark melodramatic tone? <laughs> yeah, with, yeah. With it's, it's found, fancy it's colors, like, it's like Batman with amnesia. Is what it's like. Well, it, well, yeah. that's a good comparison. And the crow it, it's like and instead Ghost of Ghost Rider, like yeah, if, and the Crow and Ghost Rider. Yeah, those two things too. If they decided with those properties to go, hey, let's skip the action and just be um, concentrate on the moodiness and flashbacks, but not actually do stuff. That would be the first part of Spawn, right? Yeah. yeah, I think you're underselling it quite a bit. Okay, because like there's like this investigation part in the first issue, and we keep thinking, oh, you know, someone was thrown off a building, and their I think their heart was in their mouth or something like that. And throughout the thing, you're like, oh, this spawn is doing this. Spawn is doing this, and then you learn that no, it's actually Violator, and so we get Violator coming and, and stuff like that. So it's I think it's done really well, man. I didn't think it would be Spawn at all because Spawn didn't do Jack, but like sit around <laughs> okay. and cry about his past. Um, anyways, I digress. One last thing, uh, that I found, um, is it time freeze? Can you freeze time? Is that a power too? Or is that oh, just his flashbacks? I don't remember time freeze. I don't remember him being able to do that either. Okay. So the list may not be totally accurate because his time freeze thing, uh, might not be there. I, again, I'm just getting my information off the internet versus actually reading the comics or extrapolating okay well i 
I might be there now. The comic's gone on 300 issues. He might true. be freaking time all over the place. Okay, true, true. Uh, I'm ready to talk about this film um, and get into the details. So that that's your little history on this particular character. Uh, Brad, you want to kind of, I, I guess that since we're talking about time freeze or going back in time, we use, we use this part of the podcast to go back to 1997 when Spawn was like a big deal, right? I mean, it had been out at this point five years as a comic book. Everybody's super excited. And then New Line Cinema puts out the Spawn film. Yeah, yeah. So initially, Spawn was given a $20 million uh, budget. And uh, that grow that doubles in size to $40 million. Um, and its box office run, domestically, we're looking at about 50, we'll say $55 million dollars. Internationally, about $33 million for about roughly $88 million. Um, so it, it gets back its production budget, but it's probably breaking even with advertising and all that other stuff pulled into it. Um, the reason that it is on our show this time is because of the critical response. Um, Spawn sits at, guess what, guys? A 17%. Um, and it also has a 38 with the audience. Oh, ouch. So Troy, <clears throat> I could not find a movie guide review, well, but they probably stayed far away from this one. I found so <laughs> very analytical myself. I do a lot of analyzing of data. This guy for the child care action project, uh, 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 cap, if, <laughs> cap, if you will, um, has a basically is using um, his own analysis to figure out if a film is rated properly based on Christian mythology, if you will. Um, should should we state here? Spawn was originally a PG thirteen film. Yes, that, that's how it was in the theaters. But the version that circulates now on home media is the director's cut, right? I believe so. But even then, it's not a much of a rated R in 2022 standards. Right. Um, <clears throat> so this guy for, again, child care action projects analyzes on the wisdom scale. <laughs> wisdom. All right. Here we go. Wisdom. Okay. Wisdom is wanton <laughs> violence, crime, W. I stands for immunity or hate. S is sex or homosexuality. D is for drugs and alcohol. O is for offense. Offense to God. I'm sorry. Offense to God. Oh, and nice. M is for murder slash suicide. Okay. Um, wanton violence slash crime lost heavily due to, among other things, extremely graphic battles with evil graphic uh <laughs> distortions of human flesh, physically beating of a child and a talking severed head melting on the floor. <laughs> Hate lost almost everything due to coarse language and acts of disgust. <laughs> Homosexuality lost two thirds of its. So he rates everything out of a hundred. Okay. Lost two thirds of its a hundred points because of, <laughs> of gaming. I guess we're like looking and obsessive cleavage. Did anyone remember excessive cleavage in this movie? Maybe John Leguizamo's. I don't know. Yeah, maybe uh, inappropriate uh -huh. touching, 
Maybe Melinda Clark a little bit, maybe. Maybe. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the CIA was investigating oh, yes, leather. Oh, yes, yes. Priest right. is very hooterific yep. in this movie. Uh, talk of sexual intercourse with descriptive body movements, vulgar references to sexual activity, and camera angle to focus the viewer on female private regions. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Give did me I this. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> drugs slash alcohol lost no points since no uses or mentions of drugs and or alcohol were found. The starting 100 points in defense to God were evaporated quickly due to the very satanic programming, propositioning for selling the soul, uh-huh. graphic portrayal of hell and battles in hell, Satan slash demon worship, gifts of power and strength from Satan, Satanic music, a murder victim being resurrected and possessed by unholy power. Mm. On some levels, even God himself has never done it. Defeated the devil by a movie, by a movie official at the end of the movie tape. He calls it a movie tape Um, and other examples of unholy references. Murder slash suicide, almost half of its starting 100 points loss due to knife murder multiple murders and assassination of many by fire and explosion. So he goes, it is interesting that spawn is rated PG 13, but received a cap score equivalent to R rated material between 19. So he does, he does like all the movies. So between 1993 and 1995, the cap media, the cap entertainment media analysis model, the cap model, if you will, was built by investigation into the content of 33 movies Three movies rated G and 10 each for PG, PG 13, and R. And the very same analytical process and parameters that were used to develop the cat model were determined the scoring of Spawn. Strange that new movies rated PG 13 would have earned R scores just three or four years ago. Hmm. So he is not happy that Spawn got a. Uh, so I think he got it, gets a final score of. 43 out of a hundred possible no out of a possible each one you can get the so the most holy would be 600 oh because there's six different categories yeah so yeah okay. total of 43 out of 600 yeah so wow. okay very good um yep. you know i like that i like those types of perspective on media instead you get you know going to rotten tomatoes or something else and they're just taking the aggregate I like somebody with a very specific slant on what they're looking for. I mean, say what you will, ridiculous or not, they're wearing exactly on their sleeve what they consider to be a good film and they're rating against it. So you, I, I kind of appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Spawn was released in August of 1997. Here's the other films you could have seen in 1997. Mm. You could have seen Air Bud, Picture Perfect. Conspiracy theory, which conspiracy theory uh, grossed $143 million. Uh, The Full Monty, $261 million. Good movie. Great. Copland, Event Horizon, previous episode. Mm -hmm. Um, G.I. Jane, watch out for that sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Money money Talks, Mimic, uh, Hoodlum, and Excess baggage are all films you could have seen august of 1997 Excess baggage is that alicia silverstone yes and, and christopher uh, walken right and benicio del benicio Tur- toro or i never it, saw it never saw it 
I, I think I saw it, but I remember zero about it. That's how. I hear, yeah. What I hear in that batch is uh, GI Jane, Full Monty. It seems like there was one more in there I thought was really good. Uh, Airbud. <laughs> well, I mean, I've seen Airbud. Yeah, you have. Yeah. Shows my son, obviously. There's a lot of Airbud movies. Uh, yeah. Copland. Copland was pretty good. Copland. Copland. Yeah. yeah, Copland. I love Copland. Yeah. I, there's there's some heavy hitters there. I mean, 90s, probably out of all of the decades that we talk about, 90s for me are, are consistently hit or miss. Like, I never know uh, revisiting a film if, if I'm going to like it again. Mm. Um, I think it's a very unique period. Like, the 80s, I can pretty much kind of go, yeah, if I revisit that, I remember what I thought about it the first time, and usually it holds up. Uh, but the 90s, if I like, I'm surprised how many films I remember liking in the 90s go back and revisit. And I'm like, nope, I don't like that anymore. Mm. Or ones that I thought I was kind of lukewarm on and all of a sudden really like now. Like, I don't I don't know about you guys. That decade, I feel as I got older, I just flipped my opinion on a lot of the films. From the 90s or the 80s? The 90s. 90s. 80s, yeah. for whatever reason, I feel pretty consistent. Well, since I'm a 90s kid, it's a little bit different from yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and well, and, and I was going to the movies a lot in the '90s, so yeah, I could probably go either way on a lot of them. Yeah, the '90s were so much about in-your-face fucking attitude that it's yeah. a little bit hard. I mean, wrestling was like that, movies was like that, alternative yeah. music was like that, yeah. hip hop Every, was like that. Everything, everything was, was very aggressive. Yes, yes. it was. Yep. It was, including the fashion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the people behind the camera in front of the camera. We'll tar- we'll start with the director, um, Mark A. Z. Dip, or is it Dip A? Or Dip A? Dip A. I don't know. He's born in Tokyo. I think he's of Japanese descent in some way. Uh, Dip A. He just recently directed the new Marmaduke movie. Yes. Oh, the Netflix movie. Yeah. Twenty twenty two. Yeah. Uh, Spawn was his first theatrical film. His only theatrical film. His only the yeah, I was just gonna say that. Yeah, Everything else that say. he's done yeah. has yeah. either been direct to uh video streaming. I remember, and I don't know if I'm correct on this because I don't own this film, thank God. But I'm pretty sure on the commentary that he did, he is very arrogant about how great Spawn is. And I remember being completely turned off by him. But I could be wrong. I listened it's to weird a, because he's an industrial light magic guy. Yeah, I I listened to a little bit of the commentary, and he starts the commentary by introducing himself. I should have paid attention to how oh. he said his last name, and and he goes, uh, and and I'm and I'm sorry, or he apologizes for Spawn, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> oh, maybe that's a new one. Yeah, yeah. I, and here here's his filmography, right? So Pixel Perfect TV film, 2004, Halloween Town High, a TV film. Frankenfish. Uh, he did like two or three Garfield videos from 2007, 2009. The Reef 2 High Tide in 2012. I guess in 2017, he did a Michael Jackson's Halloween TV film and Marmaduke in, in 2022. And, and to your point, Brad, leading up to his directorial debut, he was really known for his work in visual effects. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll go back to 1989, kind of a busy year for him. He was involved in the visual effects for The Abyss. Uh, Goes on to do Back to the Future Part 2, The Hunt for Red October, Ghost, worked on Terminator 2, Judgment Day, uh, Jurassic Park, 1993, he was involved in that. Um, Same year, Rising Sun. Uh, S. Darko, there you go, Brad, sequel to Donnie Darko, he worked on that. And more recently in the effects department, he worked on uh, Paranormal Activity 2 and 3, and The Shallows from 2016. Yeah, he still he still does uh, visual effects work sometimes. Uh, yeah, if he's not directing. Yep. 
Yeah, and, and he was, um, for the most part, an, an IL, ILM guy mm-hmm. um, doing those effects, and then kind of uh, Spawn was a chance to, to get away from that. Yeah, and there's another very important ILM guy, which I guess we'll talk about when we get to those credits. Yes, uh, Cinematography by Guillermo Navarro, uh, Oscar winner for Best Achievement in Cinematography for 2006's Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. wow, okay. So yeah. he that he, movie looks amazing. Yeah, so, he did the okay. cinematography for this. He's also worked on. He's he's a collaborator um, with you know not just Guillermo del Toro, but he works a lot with our uh, the Desperado director. Oh, Robert. and and Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez and, and? Um, Quentin Tarantino. And? Yeah, Jackie Brown. Yeah. So he, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, around this time period. So we're talking ninety six, ninety seven. He had worked on From Dust Till Dawn in 96, Long Kiss Goodnight in 96. And the year that he worked on Spawn in 97, he worked on Jackie Brown from 1997 as a cinematographer. Like a, almost like a Miramax house guy or something. Yeah, that's that's exactly what his filmography looks like during that time period. Yeah. <laughs> the difference between Jackie Brown and Spawn is unbelievable. Yeah, it's an, uh, yeah there's a quite a divide there. Yes. <laughs> yes. The screenplay. So Todd McFarlane is credited as the um, comic book originator. Yep. How do you say his last name? Who? Todd McFarlane. Uh, Todd McFarlane. Is it D or E? <laughs> it's McFarlane. Lynn. It is E, but it's pronounced in. It's, it sounds it's pronounced like a D, so it's very strange. But it's but it's spelled L A N E. I know. Yeah. So I pterodactyl, don't. Pterodactyl also starts with a P. So it's Todd McFarlane. It's spelled that way. Okay. We'll go with it. Okay. Is he's Canadian, right? Uh yeah. Okay. Well, right. Ooh, does, Will, does Will that way? How does Will pronounce his name? I'll go with that. Uh, Ill. Ill? <laughs> <laughs> no, not Will's. Oh God. <laughs> All right. Back back on track here. So Todd McFarlane, comic book artist. Uh Mark. Um, also did the screen story. The screenplay goes to Alan B. McElroy. <laughs> this guy's pretty interesting. Here's here's some of the films that he penned. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Okay. Mm. Rapid Fire from 92 with Brandon Lee. Solid film. Powers Booth. The uh, Spawn TV series that ran from 97 to 99. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love this one. Ballistic X versus Sever in yeah. 2002. Literally... A zero on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, we're going to talk about that one sometime. Um, some, some consider that the worst movie ever made. I I, I got to say. I've seen I, worse. I doubt it. I, yeah, I doubt it. I've, I've never worse. seen it, so I don't know. I've seen worse. I, I can tell. I saw that in the theater. I can tell you I've seen worse. I was, uh, Ray Park's in it. That's why I wouldn't see it. And uh-huh. I've seen okay, worse. Yeah. Uh, the horror movie Wrong Turn, 2003. So, oh, yeah. Yep. yeah that's, that, that's pretty decent. Yep, tons of sequels. Uh, also, speaking of tons of sequels, The Marine in 2006. The, nice. Yeah. Tekken. Do you remember the yeah, Tekken the film? the Tekken movie. Yeah, in 2010. And more recently, he's been writing for Star Trek Discovery. I think he did uh, eight episodes for that oh, show. Wow. When we were going to Horror Hound, I remember Luke Goss telling me about Tekken because yeah. Luke Goss was there for something. And yeah, I was like, okay, I'll check it out. <laughs> well, it's a movie. Yep, it is a movie. <laughs> um, we'll talk about all the special effects artists that are involved in there. I wanted to highlight one. Maybe this is the one you're talking about, Sammy. There is one visual effects supervisor, Steve Spaz Williams. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Spazman. The Spazman. Now, in his credits, they list him as a visual effects supervisor through ILM on Star Wars 1977. My assumption is he worked on the re-release work yeah, because he, he started at ILM in 1988. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, and here, again, you're, you're going to see some commonality between um, Steve Spaz Williams and the director. Uh, but Steve has worked on War of the Worlds, that TV show from 88 to 90. He was the computer graphics animator on 1989's The Abyss. So yeah. obviously, that's where they started working together. He also worked on Hunt for Red October, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Jurassic Park. He's one of the ones that helped come up with the liquid metal effect. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, that was such a big deal. Um, yeah. He was a CG animator for Jurassic Park as well. So Yeah, and he's actually the guy that actually, uh, he personally built the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah, the T-Rex. So, yeah. The T-Rex that you know and love, which I just saw three of in a movie, <clears throat> um, is uh, designed by one Steve Spaz Williams. There you go. Magically, in 1993, they did it better than in 2022. But anyway, <laughs> I've seen some stuff with with Spaz, and he seems like an asshole. But yeah, I, I think, don't know. I think him. I think there's a story about him and Dippe and 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 these guys breaking into something at Skywalker Ranch and getting kicked out or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's some story behind the scenes of these guys. These guys were punk rock kids trying to. <laughs> to mess with George Lucas's system. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into that because spawn was sort of their ticket out of ILM. Yeah. More or less. They wanted out because yep. they thought that Lucas and, them and Murin and those guys were too, too stiff, too stiff collared. Exactly. You know, and that's probably why they got um, along with Todd McFarlane. Um, because listener, listen, I apologize. Todd is uh, hey, look, I pronounce it's it as I see it, as I see it. Um, but yeah, Ford McFarlane. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, here's something else about Steve. Um, he was nominated. He didn't win, but he was nominated for an Academy Award for 1994's The Mask with Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah, he was the main visual effects guy for The Mask. So, uh, I remember seeing those effects for the first time and thinking, "Wow, yeah, this is going to change things." And I was correct. (laughs) So he worked on like in like a five year run. Like four of like the biggest, probably like CGI mm-hmm. films of all time, like yeah. Jurassic Park, T two, The Mask was huge. Even Jumanji is like something yeah. that people hold up as like this CGI masterpiece, and it's crazy that Spaz was attached to all of those. Well, you're forgetting. So before Spawn, he was the Crocodile and Animation Visual Effects Supervisor. Yeah. On Arnold Schwarzenegger's Eraser from 1996. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> the infamous crocodile animator. From yes. Eraser. Yeah. Um, and and don't, will, sleep, don't sleep on Eraser, dude. Eraser is really, Did badass. you know that there's a, a direct-to-video sequel that came out of that thing? That mm-hmm. apparently is terrible, but I'll probably still watch. He also directed a film, Walt Disney's The Wild. Evidently, yeah. they gave him uh, the ability to direct a film. Uh, I remember seeing a trailer for this and thinking that won't make any money or do anything. You guys should do that sometimes. You should do animated bombs for a month. I know you did it before, but I'm talking about the really low-hanging fruit animated mm. bombs. <laughs> it's going to be a while. Look. <laughs> I understand. I understand. When when we talk. Wow, Eddie Izzard. Yeah. Keeper Sutherland. Jim Belushi. Yeah. Oh, 
Yeah. William Shatner. Oh my God. Uh, that just sounds, there's not enough beer in the world for that one. It's I mean, only, 80, it's only 82 minutes. So the lead, the lead singer of uh minute work is the voice of a flamingo in that movie. All right. Well, <laughs> you may have me on that one. Okay. That now, now I want to see it. <laughs> now I do want to see that film. Okay. Be good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's talk about the cast real quick before we talk about production and development. <clears throat> We're going to start with Michael J. White as Al Simmons, a.k.a. Oh Spawn. Boy. Here we go. 118 acting credits. This guy just doesn't turn parts down. Yeah, so this conversation comes up a lot on our podcast, The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. The promise of Michael J. White, it has been there now for 25 to 30 years. Yeah. And it just seems like for whatever reason, he cannot get across. And I mean, not to a certain audience, like he cannot break out of B movie action. And I, I don't begrudge him that I don't, but some of his B movie action films are not good. So I don't know what it is because he's got charisma and everything. But one of the things I want to say about him is he is a sometimes one note actor with his grunt talking. Yeah. That really drives me crazy. He is so likable in Black Dynamite. Oh, yes, that's correct. Yes. So charismatic. <clears throat> and he's got a great build, and he's a legit martial artist. This guy's a legit badass guy. Yeah. Is he the guy that gets the pencil in yeah. the Dark Knight? Yeah, yeah Dark Knight. It, he's, but he always, he's, every, every line of dialogue is like, I'm going to use the bathroom. He's, everything he does is he, his back teeth never don't touch. Yeah. Well, I just, I don't think he's good at selecting good properties either or scripts. I mean, Black Dynamite, in my opinion, is his best work ever. Ooh, Never Back Down is pretty good too. It's good. It's not Black Dynamite good. Never Back Down is entertaining. And I, you know, he also directed a few of those Never Back Down direct-to-videos, um, I guess yeah. the second and third sequel. Yeah, he's I, a filmmaker as well. He's uh, He's kind of crossed over into that. Yeah, I mean, he's worked with Jean-Claude, Steven Seagal, um, Michelle Yeoh in a film in 2004 called Silverhawk. And I, I really like him. I just, I don't know. I, I think he's always underutilized except for black dynamite. Um, some people like that film. He did not uh, just too recently, that triple threat film he did with, no, 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 no. no, no, no some people no. like that. They yeah. That Jesse Johnson guy. Those people would be wrong. <laughs> that movie um, should have been way better. It should have been, it had so much potential. Um, great cast. Yeah. 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 I didn't know that I, I, his first film credit was the Toxic Avenger Part 2 back in 1989. That is insane. Yeah. Um, ask, me about ask me about Troma films. Oh, yeah. One of, my, Brad's one, of my <laughs> one of my favorite things he's ever done is Undisputed 2. That's good. Yes. You've seen that. Scott Ooh, yeah. Yeah. White, that was good. Cross is in that. That's yeah. a good one. He's, he's a good actor. I really think he's a good actor, even though it's, he's a bit one note. I think he's a good action guy yeah i just wish he would really get something that maybe matches um the 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 level that he can do did anyone see that batman soul of the dragon yes he's really good in that yeah okay it's fun okay i mean it's a 70s throwback to a batman film um he plays sort of the the jim kelly homage mm -hmm. Ooh. yeah it's okay. good it's good it's really ben, good ben turner i believe yep um man uh here we go <laughs> John Leguizamo as the okay. clown and violator. Okay, so let me ask you this question. Does anyone have more bad movies on their filmography than John Leguizamo? 
so this film Spawn came out the same year as another film called Fucking The Pest. Pest. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Which it, you know, you can you can go Double and, dip that year. Nice. Yeah, you can go and listen to that episode and it's just 2 hours of Brad and I losing our mind. Um actually don't listen to that episode. I don't want you to I, there's a lot of f bombs in that episode. Um, but yeah, John Leguizamo. We we. I, Here's I, the thing about John Leguizamo. I do think John Leguizamo is talented. I really do. Seriously, I think some of his stand up is good. But he has been given I don't know what it is this get out of jail free card to improvise in some of his movies. I don't know what it is. Sometimes he works like Casualties of War. He's okay in that, but he's a background character. He's in Die yeah. Hard too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's, he's good in the John Wick stuff. Yeah, yeah, he pops up and stuff. Tu Wong Fu, he plays a uh, you know a cross dresser in that. He's little, really good in that. A little problematic now, yes. <laughs> a little problematic now, yes. But I, I mean, he's good in it. And there's been other things where I've seen him where I've liked him. I liked him in the Schwarzenegger film Collateral Damage. But then you get this John Leguizamo, uh, and I, this John Leguizamo is very similar to the Pest John Leguizamo. Oh, it is. It is. It's the Pest part two. Basically, I walked off of the set on the pest and now i'm playing clown yeah and yep yeah yeah uh he's given free reign here and uh people on the set must have thought he was funny and uh wow it's it's ooh man it's bad it's rough mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. i was cringing the whole time and i was thinking troy's loving this every single second <laughs> yeah well we'll get into detail on that one uh let's talk about martin sheen as jason Wynn. Talk about another person who just loves to act. 262 acting credits. Yeah. Uh, I think my introduction to him was Apocalypse Now, back from 1979. So, uh, uh, yeah, mine would have been that or Badlands. Yeah. Yeah, Badlands is another one. Um, in 97, this is what he was doing in 97, a TV series called Gun, uh, Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, which I think was a small independent film. That's a key, uh, directed by Kiefer Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Screen One, another TV series. Um, he did this film, Spawn. And he did an episode of The Simpsons and a TV movie called Medusa's Child. That was all 97. Yeah. All of those are probably better than his performance in this. Oh. We'll talk about it further. I I the rarely, the, the I hair. rarely the say hair. I hate this performance. <laughs> <laughs> no, you rarely hear me say the word hate. That's that's the, pretty bad, Sammy. You never, you, you never say hate. <laughs> I don't. Because I can't act. I mean, I'm not an is actor. There, so. Is there anything that more that personifies his acting in this movie than that hair? Like that hair personifies his acting in this movie. Well, there's this hair's face, terrible. There's this face he makes. I'm going to give it to you guys. Oh, let's see the face. Uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. It's yeah. The looking, looking yeah. up at the camera, but he does it the whole time. Yep. Yep. And yeah. it's so irritating and it just drives me bonkers, man. I wish people, I, I, I can't even describe here. Let me describe, go watch spawn. And that's the face <laughs> yeah. that Sammy made. Cause it was pitch perfect. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know, but it, it was terrible. And I, I couldn't help but laugh at him the whole time. I felt bad for him too. Yeah. Um, a couple other people we should talk about. Teresa Randall is Wanda Blake. I don't know much about her. Um, she's pretty. Yeah. She played Michael Jordan's wife in space jam. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, DB Sweeney as Terry Fitzgerald, which I think he peaked in 1992's The Cutting Edge, where you know he's a hockey player. Comes a, a you couldn't get skin. away with this casting today. They cast Terry Fitzgerald as a white guy. I believe he's a black guy. In the oh well, yeah, the, we'll uh, talk see, about so that. they they basically said, "Hey, we got too many of them. 
We can't have. That's basically what they said. No, no, no. What they said was Terry Fitzgerald, Al Simmons' best friend, um, is black in the comics. In the film, he is white. Todd McFarlane explained that this change was made by the studio to avoid having too many black leads as they believed this would give the false impression that the film's target audience was the African-American demographic. I don't care. I'm racist against corporations anyway. Yeah, yeah. me too. Um, <laughs> Holy shit. That's a quote. <laughs> yeah. But the truth is it's, it's problematic the other way. It's, it's, it's so ridiculous. It's that that happened. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. That's Hollywood, I'm not man. such a fanboy. I, I'm not such a fanboy that I care. I really don't. You can put anybody in any role. I don't care if they're black, white, green, blue. I don't give a shit, but I find it funny that that became that that wasn't a bigger deal. Like nowadays, it'd be a huge deal. It'd be a huge. Deal. Well, it was a big deal for the Hellboy film that we talked about, right? Yeah, yeah, There's a whole yeah, yeah. casting issue because they weren't sticking to, um, you know, really the origins of the character. And when they cast somebody else of a, of a different ethnicity, everybody blew up about it. I mean, this is crazy that, and that was the quote that went out there. Wow. Um, Nicole Williamson as now you guys will have to help me out with this name. Cause I, I guess it's a comic character named Cogliostro. That's close enough. That's yep. Close enough. Okay. This was his last okay. film. Um, yeah. this one as Jessica priest, Melinda Clark. Now I'm going through her filmography and I, I love Melinda Clark. I just got to say that I come across this movie that she did called killer tongue in 1996. Have you guys well, ever seen this film? I, I have seen killer tongue. I love killer tongue. <laughs> So, Brad, have you seen this? I have not. Let me let me tell you what the plot is. <laughs> and if this doesn't make you want to watch it, a horror well, movie about I'll, a, I'll tell you another reason why you'll want to watch it too. Okay, okay, well, here we go. A horror movie about a woman hiding out with four pastel colored poodles in a desert gas station with the loot from a heist while her boyfriend does prison time. A meteorite crashes near the station, transforming the woman into an alien being with a gigantic tongue and her poodles are transformed into four drag queens. That's the plot synopsis for killer tongue. And she wears a very tight uh, black bodysuit that leaves very little to the imagination, including uh, basically it has nipples on it and everything. It is. <clears throat> okay. Well, I just want to see these poodles that transform into four drag that I'm, I'm in. It's a it's a bad film, but it's a it's a kind of a fun bad film. Cool. I'll have to. I, I saw for sale on eBay for nine dollars on VHS. Wow, I can't believe it's that much. Well, yeah. I guess because it's VHS. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some of the production and development, and I, I'm sure you guys can kind of jump in on some of these stories. So, can I can I just bring up the fact that we got Miko Hughes in here, little Miko from Pet Cemetery. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Anybody else? Boy. That's yeah. And I always I always like to mention fun names. There's a character actor that I always love mentioning. This guy's name, Michael Papa John. Michael. Only because, you know, I live in Kentucky, so <laughs> I got to bring up the Papa John. Way less racist. <laughs> <laughs> this Papa John is way less racist than the other Papa John. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Not all Papa Johns are as racist as the Papa John. Yeah, this one would definitely have cast a black person as Terry Fitzgerald. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> uh, Columbia Pictures showed interest in making Spawn when the comic book was launched in 92. Negotiations fell through. Because Todd was not getting enough creative control. Oh, boy. Yeah. So he sold. He's like, you know, screw you guys. I'm going to New Line Cinema. And he got paid a dollar from New Line Cinema in exchange for creative input and merchandising rights. 
so um, the, the, at the time, Michael DeLuca, the New Line president, a comic book collector himself, expressed interest in having a character that has an established audience as Spawn while declaring that success hinged on an adaptation that maintains a PG-13 rating but retains its darkness. So one thing to keep in mind is they intentionally were going after a PG-13 audience while HBO was making an animated series that was intentionally going for a very mature audience. Mm. Um, here's where we get into the visual effects. So as visual effects were important, production, let's just say that this movie at a time hinged on its visual effects, okay? The film was going to be produced by Pull Down Your Pants Pictures, a company formed by former industrial light and magic artists, Mark Dipp, Clint Goldman, and Steve Spaz Williams. Dip was slated to direct the film with Goldman as producer and Williams as second unit director and visual effects supervisor. Dip and Williams, who at the time was the only one of the three still attached to ILM, called the film Opportunity for Our Ticket Out of the Company. Ugh. Yep, the script would be written by Alan McElroy, who along with writing the Spawn comic book, also wrote many episodes of the Todd McFarlane Spawn animated series. Now, you went through the budget already, right, Brad? So start as 20, it mm -hmm. ballooned. So the scale of the visual effects led New Line to continually increase the project's budget, which grew to that 40 or 50, you know, $45 million price tag, a third of which was spent on the effects. The shooting schedule was only 63 days. To cut production time by a week, Goldman lent a million dollars to engage John Grauer's Santa Barbara Studios to develop the digitally produced hell sequences. The visual effects shot count increased from 77 to over 400, created by 22 companies in the United States, Canada, and Japan, requiring 70 people in nearly 11 months to complete. Oh. Industrial Light and Magic, so ILM, did most of the work creating 85 shots at a cost of $8.5 million. Here's the other kicker. More than half of the final effect shots were delivered two weeks before the film debuted. It was a huge rush job. Yeah. So this is kind of going back to the Hellboy story in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yep. it's another thing that effects ballooned, started to bring in a lot of outside help. And then those effects, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> voice problems again this week. We'll talk about that. Um, those effects, I mean, which this movie is kind of built on that foundation of having great visual effects. Uh, they get, they get delivered to everybody two weeks before it's supposed to go out the door. Yeah. Uh, this movie did win an award at the Fangoria chainsaw awards. It won worst film that year. Mm. Yeah. I don't know what it was up against, but a little, a little fun fact. I don't know what it was up against either. I, I will say that I enjoy some of the prosthetic effects here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they're god awful. The prosthetic stuff. Spawn dinner, looks dinner. great. Like the skin yeah, the, thing on Spawn yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, the CGI stuff is really brutal. I think the three of us could do really good CGI, um, yeah. even with 1997 technology. I think we could have done it. We could have done this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we usually start with guests, but Sammy, you're not a guest anymore. You're just you're like part of the family. So I'm just a guy you guys pull out the closet every now and then. Every now and then, we're like dust Sammy off. He's coming on the show. <laughs> uh, Brad, this was your pick. And I know spawn as a character is near and dear to your heart. I mean, it, it's one of the big ones from your comic book collecting days. You got to revisit 
the adaptation of one of your favorite characters. What what are your thoughts on this thing? So I find this movie pretty groundbreaking as I believe this might be one of the first movies to be all expository dialogue about a plotless movie. I find that very, very fascinating that they could make uh, all the dialogue, push the story along, but there's literally no story in this movie. Um, I'm so glad that 14 year old Brad who went to the theater did not have the internet today because mm. I would definitely be one of those people like, no, this is not my spawn, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like I was disappointed then. Um, and I revisiting this time, I was shocked at how bad this is. It is really boring. The acting across the board is atrocious. Um, Wanda poor thing, boy, I don't know what was going on during the shooting of this film, but she is not good. Leguizamo is insufferable. We've said it <laughs> straight off the pest into this movie. The fart jokes, the shit jokes, the weird sort of quips that he comes up with. I could just feel Leguizamo's probably riffing half the time or maybe yeah. even more than that. And I, I just can't do it in this movie, man. It is so bad. And then we get to the PlayStation one level of CGI that we're getting in this movie. Um, I remember sort of, and I guess I'll call it iconic. That might be too friendly to this one. When he falls through the glass uh, right before the shootout. And I was like, I remember the Cape actually looking pretty good uh, in this and that part. Yeah, uh, they, it is. They sold that in the trailer. Remember? Yeah, it, it does not look good. It does not look good at all. It looks cartoony at best and and Nintendo 64 at worst. It looks really, really bad. Which and which is weird because when was Batman 89? And you get that yeah. same similar shot yeah, with him come, coming yeah, through but with the cape. Pra- it's practical. It's practical, and- but it looks a thousand times better almost a decade earlier with practical effects. Yeah. yeah. Versus what um, they did here. And then... You know, you get the story and the hell stuff. I mean, that hell sequence. Some of these sequences in this movie, you're like, I don't know what ILM was doing because it's ILM. Like we've we've come to know and love and to respect ILM as who they are as a as an effects house. Mm-hmm. And these are really bad. So I'm guessing they didn't have that many people working on them. And they sounds like they had you know, they thought their workload was going to be X. And then it turned out to be like, I don't know, like six or seven X that. Um, so which is is weird when you look at the resume leading up to this, I mean, if you're thinking Jurassic park, Terminator two, all of that stuff, the abyss, what they end up creating in this film versus what they had worked on. It is such a disconnect. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Um, It's crazy. The hell stuff is, is some of the worst CGI I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) <laughs> and I know it's 1997, but it it's it's even bad by 97 standards. It's um it's an opportunity for them, and I think it's it's a great example of getting in over your head. Mm-hmm. Like they got in way over their head. I know you hear these stories about them wanting to break away from ILM and all that stuff. <laughs> Look in the background back there, <laughs> and you can totally feel that that's what they're trying to do. But then they they were like, "Whoops, we may have stepped into stepped in it a little too much." Yeah, I, I think that's fair. So I, 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 
man, I'm really disappointed because I, I, I know the character has its faults, right? It's like this alternative sort of deal, the chains and the hell stuff and this and that. But deep down, I really love Spawn and I'm okay to admit that. I, I love I love the character. I love the story. And it's, you know, it's heavy metal, basically. But this is just not it. And I'm disappointed every time I see it because it's they're they're being pretty faithful to some of the elements of his origin. Yeah. And it just doesn't come across very well at all. Um, was there any, was there any part of the film, a sequence, an image or something that when you saw it or when it unfolded, and, and this is a question for you too, Sam, because I've never read the comic. Was there anything in the film that you went, Oh, they, that shot, that exchange, whatever it is, really captured or nailed that aspect of the comic book. They tried with the, with the window, with him falling from the sky with the Cape. They tried yeah, the most spawn image in this whole film. The most comic book related image in this whole film is the final shot of spawn. Okay. With the Cape floating forward. Yeah. I've, I've only seen a no. couple of just panels um, and the sequences where you get the Gothic church, like, um, uh, I don't know, up on the rooftops. Yeah. I, I thought looked really good, but not being close to the comic book. I didn't know. Yeah if they managed to capture some of that imagery, because I remember seeing sequences like that from just no. panels I've seen. Here's here's the problem with the film. The film feels like it's shot on sets the whole time you're watching it. Yeah, that's true. It never feels like it's very far removed. I guess the closest it feels like it's shot outside of a set is the bike chase and that action sequence with the truck. Outside of that, it just feels like everything is man-made and it feels very claustrophobic to me. Mm-hmm. And, and and I'll I just want to add one more thing before I quit. Some of the dialogue in this movie is some of those embarrassing things I've ever heard actors have to say. There's a <laughs> sequence where Priest is dead. She gets shot in the head. They're wheeling her out. One doctor says to another doctor, "She got shot in the head." He looks at her and says, "Yep, she's dead." And that's it. She was supposed to come back towards the end of the film. Uh, she was supposed to come back as a cybernetic demon uh, thing, but they ran out of money for effects. I'm sure, yeah. So she yeah. stayed dead. You can, can kind of tell that they wanted to give her more because Belinda Clark's got a look, and you you feel like the camera's lingering on her. Hey, yeah, yes, she does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly the camera's lingering on her in uncomfortable ways, but you do feel like the camera's lingering on her, like they think she's got more clout than she yep she she was supposed to come back at the end of the film um as a cyborg uh terminator kind of thing but they, the funny thing about it. that character is it was supposed to be chapel they mm-hmm. made her into priest then they just roll priest into the comics so priest actually does become a character in the comics so yeah oh, okay. but anyway all right that's my thoughts this movie sucks <laughs> all right uh what about you sammy sammy you picked this one because I know, again, big comic book fan, but you kind of wanted to revisit this with the hopes of defending it um, yeah. on, on some merits, right? Yeah, yeah, that was the hope. Um, so sometimes you guys will send me a list. Well, most of every time you yeah. guys send yep. me a list of everything you guys are going to do. And you'll say, hey, is there anything in here that interests you? And I'll look and see whose name's attached to what and, and all that good stuff. And, and I, I saw Spawn and I thought to myself, well, you know what? I was going to rewatch that. Um, because I was thinking about going back and watching these early cycle superhero films and seeing where we were wrong and where we were right. 
I can say without a uh, shadow of a doubt, we were wrong here. Uh, this is basically new metal Batman. And don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not making fun of new metal. I love new metal personally. I love it. The uh, Batman that did it all for the nookie. <laughs> <laughs> Batman. Yeah. This, this Batman was definitely uh part of his, uh, generation. Uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, uh, it certainly felt that way. Um, this movie, I'm amazed going back and looking at it, how cheap it looks. And not in a good way. I Look, I'm, I'm the first person that will defend a cheap movie. I watch some of the worst films you could possibly ever watch. I promise you, I've seen things that no human being should see. And <laughs> sounds like I'm a, like a vice cop or something. Uh, <laughs> it was a Sunday night. Eight millimeter. It. Look at this machine. Yeah, it was a snuff film, and I didn't want to see it, but I watched it anyway. Um I mean, there is overfeed, so, but, yeah. but I mean, I do. Yeah, there you go there, but there, there, I will pursue these things because I'm, I'm just curious about that kind of stuff. And I, and I love handmade stuff. I love a bunch of guys getting together in some small town in Florida and saying, let's make a Bigfoot movie. I, I, I love that. There's a charm to that. There's no charm in this movie. This doesn't feel like a bunch of guys getting together and being on the same page at all. This feels like like the worst of, of what comic book films can be. Uh, it doesn't have the action. Isn't good that because Michael J. White is wrapped up in so much foam and rubber and everything else, we get a few moments where we get to see him kind of shine with his physicality, but it doesn't really come through a lot. I think there's like one good roundhouse kick and that's it. Yeah. yeah. So you don't see a lot of that, which is unfortunate spawn itself. The character besides the cape looking pretty wank, uh, you know, kind of wanky compared to wanky or wonky. Anyway, <laughs> janky. We'll go with janky. Wanky wonky. Um, <laughs> it's one of them, uh, strange Ewoks that lives in the corner of the forest. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, he's, um, he, he, he's not given enough here uh, and he's trying to emote through this makeup. And, and you heard Troy, I agree. The makeup looks great on him. The burn makeup. It really does look good. And I think the suit, it looks dated, but I do think it looks good uh, for what they did with it and stuff. I, I kind of like it, but he always feels incredibly stiff and incredibly awkward, even more so than Michael Keaton's Batman in the original Batman. If you remember how stiff mm-hmm. yeah. Michael couldn't turn his head, couldn't turn his head. And there's moments where he's like, hey, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of doing that thing. And um, that was part of the problem. And then, and, with these movies, I think the biggest problem you always run into is if you don't cast the right kind of bad guy, and if you don't have the right kind of people around your lead, it can be bad. And I love Martin Sheen. I think he's actually a very talented actor. He takes risk and he does a lot of cool stuff. Um, but he also will cash a check um, because he's got he's to bail himself out of jail. He's a heavy protester and he gets arrested like all the time. I don't know if you guys know that about him, but he gets arrested like, oh, uh, yeah, which is knowing how much time he spends in jail to do 262 like film, TV, whatever. It's amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. But when he's good, he's really good. Yeah. Um, Here, he's not good at all. It's definitely one of those check cashing roles. But he does have if there's one moment in this film, I love one remote moment. It is him putting that cigarette in that ashtray with two scorpions and rocks in there. That is such a ridiculous bad guy thing 
that I did love that. That is the one thing I loved. Uh, the rest of the movie, though, is is such a struggle to get through. John Leguizamo gets so much screen time here, and he would be so much better fitted to be in the film very little or in the background. Now, I don't like the stuff he comes up with dialogue-wise. I don't think it's funny, all that stuff. But his physical interpretation of The Violator, I did like. I'm not going to lie about that. He does this thing where he kind of walks squatted the whole time. Yeah, he had to because Violator is like, or Cloud is very short, like four yeah. foot. So he had Cloud to squat. slash Violator. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of fun to watch, that kind of aspect of it. But this movie doesn't know what it wants to be either. It feels like it's trying to be like a, like a horror film. It's trying to be a superhero film. It's trying to be a gothic film. It's trying to be a revenge thriller. It's trying to be a drama. It doesn't know what it wants to be. And it feels like everybody behind the scenes is like, well, Leg was almost funny. Let's just let him roll with it. And we'll put as much of Leg Wasamo in there as we can. So can I ask you a question about that? Because it's interesting you say that this film doesn't, and you listed all these genres, right? Mm-hmm. Is that a, let me make sure I articulate this correctly. Do you think that is a result of the screenplay, the director, et cetera, or is it the source material is that way? No, the source material is not that way. Okay. And and I ask because I don't, I've never read the source material. The source material is essentially Todd McFarlane doing Frank Miller's Batman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And with some supernatural elements. And eventually Spawn becomes all about heaven and hell and all that kind of stuff. But that's all it is. I mean, that's nuts and bolts that's all spawn is it's nothing outside of that there are some comedic bits with a clown in the comic but they're much darker uh and much better than they are here um no no this feels this feels way out of whack it it feels like it feels to me like a bunch of guys who didn't read the comic and maybe just took people's suggestions about what they should put in there from the comic but Todd was an exec. He oversaw this whole thing and had creative control, which is yeah. weird to me. Then I, I think probably over his head. Yeah, he's probably in over his head. I think he thinks honestly when we talk about him and we talk about arrogance and all that kind of stuff. I think he thinks he knows what people enjoy when it comes to films. But everything I've ever seen him talk about when it comes to movies, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Now. In fairness to him, he's got movies made. I haven't gotten anything made. I haven't even tried. I don't make action figures. I don't make, you know, I'm not as talented as this guy in some ways. But I, in, in all fair play, I can't sit here and comment and say, movie-wise, he needs to stay out of it. This is not his world. <laughs> he needs to stay out of it because this is, is junk. And I think he saw, in my opinion, a film spiraling out of control and was trying to save his name which is directly tied to spawn in any way he can. And I don't know what that meant up in the ante on the comedy, on the violence, what it meant, but it just feels like a film that ha- it has no guidance whatsoever. Uh, on our show, a lot of times we'll say rudderless, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, like a ship just kind of floating out to sea, the tide's taking it and it just goes wherever it's going to go. That would, that would make sense because I know there were two other films planned mm-hmm. um, that never got made and i i know a sequel has been just sitting in development hell for a long time and the rumor is the reason why it can't get made is there's so much disagreement over the script yeah i know there's been talk of a reboot too mm-hmm. yeah jamie fox i think is attached 
Yeah, there's been talk of a reboot because comic book films are huge right now. And could they pull it off with the right people? They could. I could see Jamie Foxx as Spawn. Mm -hmm. I I don't love Jamie Foxx, but I could see him as Al Simmons. Um, Yeah, I could see it. It it just depends on the talent they would get involved, but it would also depend on people like like Ford McFarlane (laughs) to get away from the uh to get away from his property a little bit and let people interpret it yeah i think people i think i think what sometimes we lose in modern big budget filmmaking and again i'm not the one that puts these millions of dollars down but i think what my favorite thing about filmmaking is i like i always use the stanley kubrick shining example stephen king hated it that's great it wasn't stephen stephen king sold the rights to stanley kubrick and stanley kubrick reinterpreted it in a Stanley Kubrickian way. You can hate it, but you sold the rights to it. You got to let Stanley Kubrick do his thing with it. Right. And I wish that that the would reason, happen. The reason why Stephen King hates The, the Shining is because <laughs> it's more popular than the book. But well, it's more popular <laughs> than the book, and it doesn't have sh- uh, hedge animals. But yeah. it doesn't take 300 pages to actually get to the goddamn hotel. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. But the, <laughs> the, the, the truth is, my favorite thing about filmmaking in that era was people would reinterpret something you know it that's what this stuff is there for art is is great when it gets reinterpreted as something yeah and it comes from a different point of view and i like the shining novel i quite enjoy it and i'll enjoy kubrick's the shining i do not like mcgarish's the shining i think it's a mess but that's the one king holds proper mcfarland would have been best suited to just walk away from this but again, I think he's 30 something years old at this point. He's on top of the world and he thinks he's got a mega hit. He's selling 5 million issues a week, a month. Yep. Yeah, he hadn't missed. He hasn't missed it this time. Yeah. Right. So at some point, I mean, like, I can't yeah. miss. I can't miss. Yeah. I mean, his comic is making 60 to 100 million dollars a year. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Uh, and that's 1992, 93, 94 dollars. So that's a lot of money. And then he starts making action figures and he's making all this money. I think at one point he was some, I think at some point he sold like 20 something million action figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just like, he's making all this money. I just think he didn't think anything could go wrong. And this is a great example of everything going wrong. Uh, I don't know enough stories behind the scenes. I just know enough that nobody, it felt like knew what they were doing and everybody got lost and they just tried to salvage this thing over and over and over and over again. Kind of like what we were talking about when you guys were talking about Hellboy when Troy was talking about all those elements of the special effects guys and just kind of throwing every effects house in Europe at this thing to get it done. That's what this feels like. This feels I, I would say I would ask this question. Is this worse than that Hellboy film? Yes. Oh, a thousand percent. A hundred percent. Yep. So this feels even more like Jesus Christ, the ship is sinking. We got to do something. And if we don't do something, we're not going to make our money back. And we're never going to work in this town again. (laughs) That's exactly what it feels like. Yeah, it feels like it's how much money can we throw at this, you know, put lipstick on a pig in order for people to at least buy tickets for a certain point and get to that that break-even point. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing they could have done is they say, okay, we have $20 million. Let's sink another 20. Or I've even heard anywhere between 40 and $45 million spent on this movie. Yeah, you're you're already seeking, and you think the best thing to do is we'll just throw more money at it. Is this 
before Lord of the Rings or after? Oh, yes. It is. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is three years after The Crow. Like, so this, this, this idea, this, you know, sell your soul to the devil for revenge story is not that complicated. Like, yeah. you don't really need to see the demon or whatever in and i, I don't think that was the original oh, intent this was not special effects heavy in the beginning uh and i i think it was an entirely different movie in the beginning versus what it became and and that's what i understand about it because when even um the actors and everything talk about it i'm sure there's tons of stuff just sitting on the cutting room floor that wasn't used in order to kind of facilitate the story to kind of get there faster but this became yeah, like those, that motorcycle sequence comes out of nowhere. And I'm sure that's something that was yeah. kind of like, we got to go back and shoot this because we, we, we have, have too action. much contemplation. We have too much inner dialogue, too many flashbacks, you know, for, for a 97 film, we gotta, we gotta up the action and explosions. There's so many explosions in this film. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 They needed an action sequence, especially at that point. I mean, I will say this, even though I don't think that's a great action sequence, they definitely needed that action sequence at that point. Yeah. So I understand why they did it. It just, it isn't amazing. And uh, yeah, I mean, if I remember correctly, growing up in the 90s, reading a lot of movie magazines before the internet, really, um, New Line was always looking for a property outside of uh, Elm Street because they were always, Bob Shea was always kind of embarrassed Yeah, that Freddie built New Line. Um, you know, horror builds a lot of things. We've talked about this. I mean, for Christ's sake, you guys have asked me to pick a horror sequel that's a bomb, and we've talked about this. We're still about. looking. We're still looking, yes. <laughs> Amazing how many horror sequels. As bad as you guys might think a horror sequel you like is, trust me, it probably made money. Made tons of money. Um, But he was always kind of embarrassed by that, and he was always trying to get out of that horror history. And uh, although this wasn't the film to do it, I mean, Lord of the Rings eventually became one of the ones that gave him the, gl the glory that he wanted right so mm -hmm. and that was 2001 uh, so it, it was around the yeah. corner yeah. but uh yeah and i i don't know how financially well new line was doing mid 90s but it, it wasn't lord of the rings dollars they were doing well they were doing well there was a lot of uh horror films and a lot of in i mean new line put a lot of stuff out i think they did blade mm -hmm. and uh a lot of stuff i mean i i can imagine brad being a younger person than us during the, those years I felt like almost every film that came out was a new line film. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was time when you saw that new line, uh, opening on just about everything in front of everything. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Like a tri-star, like a Miramax and they were hot for a while, but, uh, they gambled hard on Lord of the Rings and, and it paid off, but, um, yeah, they were looking to get out of it. And I think they like so many people, I wonder when blade was, was blade 98. Uh, that's a good question. We have this thing called the internet. Yeah, I guess um, I should have it up. You know, I got a computer right in front of my face. Blade was 1998. Hey, how about that? I don't need. The, I don't need. You don't need the internet. Yes, still trap memory. That's right. <laughs> I can't remember where I put my car keys, but I'll be <laughs> damned if I don't remember what year Blade came out. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah. What, so, what year did you get married, Sammy? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no! Don't answer that because just in case. <laughs> Jesus, I'm thinking about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> anyway. Um, it was 2001. Anyway, the, the truth is, uh, this comic book films were still in the early part of their gestation of what we know them as. I think everybody saw the writing on the wall. I think some people got it right. Steve Norrington, new line and blade. I think they got it right. Um, I can't remember anything else around this time that really got it right. 
but this is a perfect example. Well, I mean, X-Men is coming soon. Yeah, X-Men. Okay, so that's a good story, right? Because everybody said X-Men was going to bomb. Like, people were like, there were directors that turned that down, like, across the board because they were like, I don't want to be the one that has that much burden on me to bring the X-Men to life. Yeah. And they they all thought Brian Singer was insane to even touch that property. And, of course, now we know a lot more things about Brian Singer, but... (laughs) There was, I mean, I remember it was offered to John Singleton. It was offered to all the hot directors at the time. And they were all like, no, you crazy, man. I'm not going to be the one that's going to get blasted out of Hollywood because that's going to fail. Nobody can pull that off. And he did. And that was really the beginning of this thing. We, I'd say Blade is the real beginning, but X-Men is. There's some milestones there. There's these milestones where you can. And then then Spider-Man is what? 2002. Yeah. Yeah. They start to figure it out. Right. It's coming. They're testing the waters. They're getting the formula down. They're figuring it out with these films. Yeah. And Sam Raimi was even hesitant to do the Spider-Man thing, but he did it and it paid off big time. But you know, just to say all that. Oh, oh goodness. Uh, the, uh, sorry. I apologize for the wild child that's in here. (laughs) She is definitely the, uh, the violator of our house. (laughs) The John Leguizamo of our house. Ooh, you, want say, you, want say, you want to say hello to everybody? Go ahead. Come on. Hello. <laughs> there we go. Hello. She's been wanting to do that. So um, I'll, I'll just go ahead and pass it off to Troy to hear what he says. But yeah, this is a great example of how not to do a comic book film. Kind of similar, although lacking the charm of Corman's Fantastic Four film. Yeah. That one's cheap, but it has a little bit of charm to it. There's, uh, we're going to be talking about that one, even though we're talking about another Fantastic Four film, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I think I'm going to go back and revisit them all. But you're, I, I think that's a really good analogy. Yeah. They kind of feel like they're cut from the same cloth to a certain you know degree um, in terms of the quality that they're made. But one clearly wins out because it it has something this one doesn't. Yeah. Uh, let's hear what you thought about it, Troy on a revisit. This thing is missing a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, good old Todd McFarlane in his spawn. Um, uh, almost choked. <laughs> so my take on it, um, I feel like the filmmakers got together in the mid '90s and decided to do some type of social experiment, specifically on me. So I assume these filmmakers got in a boardroom and they asked the question. Hey guys, uh, what do you think really creeps Troy out or just really annoys him? And some guy was obviously like, Hey, Hey, listen, we got this film coming out called the pest with John Leguizamo and our marketing research says that Troy is going to lose his freaking mind and like start punching babies when he sees this. And then another guy at the other part of the table goes, Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Hey, listen, (laughs) I heard he really hates clowns. Yep. And so we should have like scary clowns in this thing. (laughs) And so, you know, Todd McFarlane was like, well, listen, or the, or the executive new line goes, wouldn't it be interesting to take these two things that will drive Troy crazy and put them in a movie that is incredibly hard to stay awake during because it's so dull and, and like who would win? So is, you know, the creep factor in John Leguizamo doing part two of the pest is that going to win or is sort of the narcoleptic nature of the film? And that's how Spawn was created. I, I really feel that's the conversation that went down in like 1995, 96. Yeah. So you didn't like it. Um, I can't think of a movie <laughs> who has done so much explaining of what is gone, just going on via narration 
or a character is telling you what they're doing while they're doing it, or even a computer telling you what they're doing while they're doing it. At one point in the film, the computer goes, reading secured files. It says reading secured yes, files. Yes, it right? does. The computer talks and says reading secured files. Uh, and, and to me, it's like, okay, that right there, the question I have is how dumb do they think the audience is? And I, I really feel like like that's one of the biggest problems with this thing. I mean, I, I don't like John Leguizamo. I think he's the worst thing to ever happen to the film industry in the mid 90s. I'm not a fan of this property or the filmmaking, but what gets me just, oh man, it crawls under my skin is there's so much narration. There's so many times where the character's telling you what they're doing and it just dumbs it down to the audience to the point where you're watching a film, but it feels like a book on tape and, and it's so painful to sit through and it's, and it's really boring too. Um, and it's that narration, like the movie starts with narration then you get a credit sequence. Then it goes right back into narration. And then every 20 minutes you get movie narration. And on top of that, the people are, like you said, Brad, that that dialogue exchange. She got shot in the head. I think she's dead. Yep, she's dead. No shit. I saw her got, sh- <laughs> I watched her get you know shot in the head. I know she's not breathing. I know, I don't need you to have this exchange to tell me she's dead. But that's the film in a nutshell. Well, don't right? forget all the fart jokes in the Oh yeah. Well, let's just talk about John Leguizamo. I mean, what, what the heck was he doing in 97? Um, I, I think apparently she's shitting his pants. (laughs) If his intent was to deliver two of the worst performances ever in film history in one year, then he wins hands down. Um, this is the worst thing that the worst thing someone told John Leguizamo is you're funny. Yeah. I, I mean, all he does is he gives you fart and poopy jokes he gets in a cheerleading outfit and does, you know, shtick that probably was on the cutting room floor of the pest. <laughs> and and here's the thing. I, I don't know how he has a career after 1997. I went a documentary on what happened behind the scenes after 1997, because I feel like that would be the greatest comeback story ever. Um, because I, I have to feel he was canceled at some point and then some, he blackmailed or did something. He's got somebody's dick on his phone that he's like, if you don't put me in movies, this is coming out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, he's been in the political, he's been in the pop culture zeitgeist too recently because he is the pivotal Bruno. Yeah. For Encanto. So it's amazing to me how his career is turned around. I, I would, I would love a documentary on him, especially during this time period. Yeah. Um, cause I, I want to know what was going on with him and, and how he even survived the year of 1997 with those two films. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm and, sure you've seen him in some things you like him in though, right? I, I know I have, yeah, you, you mentioned like collateral. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or collateral damage, the Schwarzenegger film, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, there, and the John Wick films, I, I think <laughs> I'm he's, sure Michael Mann would not put up with John Leguizamo on the yeah. set. I can tell you that right now. He's <laughs> when he's, I don't know, part of the scenery, and is used um, not generously, but you know he's he's one of the background characters. I usually like him. Yeah, he can't be front and center. He can't be front and center, in my opinion, unless he's just doing a stand-up comedy. I think he's he's a really good storyteller on stage when oh, yeah, he, yeah. when he's doing his stand-up comedy. I don't like him as a front man in movies, though. Um, but yeah, I, I this this one's tough. I mean, this is a crow remake. But it's mixed with the Batman and Ghost Rider and yeah. Damien Hellstrom from the Defenders and the yeah, list goes on. 
we didn't mention that or i neglected to mention that but the crow too is part of that early comic book run where i think hollywood saw it's possible we can do something but you had a visual filmmaker there it, you did and i don't know again i'm i'm curious about the content because as you were listing those things of um what this film is i'm like yep it's stealing and borrowing from all of that and when I watched the animated series, one of the things that kind of stuck out was, and, and I think Brad and I were talking about this offline, there's these two police detectives. And they're actually, I think, at the end of this film when they're taking Martin Sheen out of the house. Yeah, that's um, Sam and Twitch at the end. Yep. There's two police detectives, Sam and Twitch. Right. And when I was watching this animated film, what I noticed, um, or animated series, the HBO series, the stuff with Sam and Twitch in the police investigation and the reporter and even the stuff that's going on with his best friend, I was more engaged and interested in. And all the spawn moments in the animated series were was just spawn sitting on a rooftop going, oh my gosh, Wanda, what happened? I'm dead, let me let me have all these flashbacks. And then takes me, a couple of me, guys out and then he goes- Let me get and, this right, let me get this right. Yeah. Wanda. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Um, and he had, and was it Keith David did the voice for the animated series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, Spawn was not an interesting character in this film, and in comparison to the animated stuff, I thought, I thought the animated uh, show was better than the film, leaps and bounds. But what made it better was the the stuff that was going on around Spawn, not Spawn. So, yeah, that's kind of how they handle his origins as well. I mean, all that stuff is from, I think, from like the first 10 issues of Spawn. Yeah. Um, so I, I I don't know. This this movie has an identity crisis. It has a John Leguizamo crisis, obviously. <laughs> I, I, I will say. The it was an epidemic in 97. Yeah. The Holy scariest shit. thing in this film, though, I, I it did get to me. Like, it, <laughs> I grabbed a pillow, kind of hid behind it a little bit, is that that scene when John Leguizamo is in full party clown makeup at that kid's oh. party. Okay. That was absolutely terrifying. It's, it startled me. It shook off the narcolepsy that was hitting me while watching this. Um, that scene gets to me because he looks freaking terrifying in that version of the clown. But um, uh, I, I don't know. This is one of those films. I, there's always something that happens in these films where I know I'm not going to like it. And so I knew I was going to hate this movie when I started caring about stuff like this. So the first one was who the heck keeps scorpions and spiders in their office? I mean, <laughs> how many OSHA violations am I witnessing right now as a result of that? So the minute I start thinking that I'm like, uh Oh, there's a problem. And then the other thing is these damn empty coffee cups. Gee, man, he's Christmas. I hate more than anything when they bring an empty coffee cup, and they set it down and there's no weight to it. And you even hear that it's hollow. And then an actor is like, Ooh, I'm going to act like I'm drinking out of this. And you know, they're not drinking out of it because it's empty. And when you're noticing that level of detail, you know, you're going to hate that film. And, oh, and yeah. this, this empty yeah. coffee cup thing, it plays out all in several movies that I love, but I never notice it until you start watching a film. And when you're paying attention to that level of detail, like the empty coffee cup, that's the indication where I'm like, Ooh, I, I'm not enjoying this film because I recognize these you're little details and yeah. I'm coming out of the story and I'm coming out of the environment. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking for other things to entertain you. Yeah. Well, the, the movie does everything it can for you not to care for the story because it's what is going on in this movie. It's insane. And 
and not insane in a good way. It doesn't really make any sense. How do you get a movie that's so insane and is combating with just boredom and the boredom is winning, which is crazy to me. I can't even tell you how many times I was with a, I had a cup of coffee because I knew because I'd seen this not too long ago. I'm like, dude, you, you got to like, I don't know, snort some Mountain Dew, have a cup of coffee, get some pixie sticks ready to go. Cause this thing is going to try and beat you down into a nap, even though it's got yeah. scary clown shit in it. And John Leguizamo. Yeah. And, even in a group, like when we were all together, we would all would have taken a nap if we watched this. Oh my God. I would, I would have been out. <laughs> I would have been laying in your lap or something, man. Just all cuddled up. <laughs> I, we would all have been out. We yeah. would have been out. But like, uh, it's just rare for a film to, to have that kind of mixture of complete boredom and, and, and John Leguizamo, which dude, it's, I can't tell if he's worse than this or the pest. I, I want to say the pest, um, but my God, this one gives it a run for the money. He's becoming cinematic kryptonite for you. Yeah, really. I agree with that. Um, I'm ashamed because I, like I said, I, I do, I know some things I do like him in. So, but you know, it is what it is. I'll, I'll be the first one to agree with you. I've never seen the pest all the way through. I tuned out about five minutes into it. Don't even try for me after Don't the shower try. scene. You're like, Nope. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Um, and, uh, this I've seen now twice and, uh, it's, it's awful. It's Don't awful. ever watch this again. Is there anything redeemable about this movie? Um, uh, well, I mean, I do I, like some of the pro- prosthetic effects and I do like Michael Jai white. Yeah. I, I was amazed. I don't know. I, <laughs> this almost feels it. It's just almost at that level with a group of folks maybe a little bit of beer, you could make fun of it. Um, but the problem, nothing, nothing happens though. But that's here's the problem. The, that's what I was going to say. It, it's too boring yeah. in order so for it to get there. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that it, it doesn't have enough. And I apologize for all the door slamming and all the other <laughs> crazy sound effects coming in the background. I really do think you are living with John Leguizamo. But, but I, I got two kids that are, uh, I am living with the best right now. The, uh, I got two kids that are playing games here. Um, there's nothing it it's not silly enough to watch in an ironic way. Yeah. And that's a that's a shame because sometimes you'll see a bad movie and you'll think to yourself, wow, this will be a cult classic in 10 years because people will go back and look at this and be like, wow, what were people thinking? I think that when I watch this movie, but there's no real redeemable value outside of again, I, I like the way Spawn looks. And it pretty much ends there. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a shame. It really is. I mean, because, you know, outside of Spaz Williams and Mark Dippe and, and, and all these people, and even Todd uh, Ford McFarlane, outside of all these guys, there's a lot of people that work on these things. Right. And it's a shame that everybody's completely out of it on this. It seems like, and you know, I'd hate to put this on my resume if I was a, well, especially with especially all the other CGI. stuff that you've got on your resume that, yeah. you know, was just so groundbreaking. And then to have this in there, it it really feels like they scammed New Line Cinema out of like $40 million. Or New Line Cinema is like, man, we need a tax write-off. Where are we going to put $45 million? Um, because I don't think 40 or $45 million was actually spent on this film. Right. I, uh, with marketing and stuff, I remember them pushing this pretty hard when it, came out when the trailer started hitting i remember pushing hard because people were asking me what's spawn man hey what's spawn because they knew i read comics and they had seen spawn comics laying around so well it goes back to that comment when we were talking sky captain and the director comes back and says i don't know 
how they spent all that money on the price tag. I, I wouldn't be surprised if if Mark came back and was like, I don't know where the 40 million went. Um, maybe it went all into marketing plus, et cetera, but I don't think it showed up on screen. I believe it went into hair dye for Martin Sheen. I think they should have reallocated some of that hair dye money into more special effects money. Yeah, for the record, I just repurposed my couch with a uh, leather balm this weekend. I think it's the same stuff you use. Right <laughs> oh, okay. So one of the things I found fascinating about this movie is Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert gives Spawn three and a half stars out of four. Yeah, he called it a visual experience. It should have been. It sh- it really should have been. I think. I I do remember thinking at the time when I saw it that they were going for something. I just also remember thinking that they failed. Yeah. I, did, did we all see this in the theater when it came out? Uh, huh. I did. I want to say, actually I did not. I think I bought, but I, this was a 1499 release on DVD day one. Yeah. And I bought it. Uh, I remember seeing it in the theaters and even from a visual perspective, I don't think I was that impressed. By the way, when I say that, it doesn't sound like a big deal, $14.99 DVD, but this is back when DVDs were $30 a piece. Yeah. 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 It was one of those new line um, snap yeah, new case. Line. Yeah. New line would sell. They would sometimes release stuff, $14.99. Dark City mm-hmm. uh, Blade was released at $14.99. And, and it was a big deal because it was the director's cut, too. So if you followed everything, I, I what, which is fascinating to me because I had always thought that this movie was supposed to be much more violent, hard, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but they intentionally went after a PG 13 and the difference between the theatrical version versus this director's cut that's out there is only two minutes. Yeah. It can't be much. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I only, here's what I hate. I hate that this film is so bad that we've had some fun talking about it, but it needed to be even worse to have more fun talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That is, and, and that's true. So, we would be remiss if we didn't bring up our good friend, Jose, who loves this movie. Happy belated birthday, Jose. Yes. Yeah. Jose, we love you. We just want to say that now because now you've spent an hour and a half listening to us eviscerate a film that you love. But this is one of those things where I admire the people who love these things. And I'm happy people get something out of them, but I have no idea what I can't understand what they are getting from these things. I here's the thing. It doesn't surprise me. And this, this is not a slam to bring up this movie. We keep bringing up, but that whole army of the dead army of the dead is another one that, Oh my God, I could sleep peacefully during that whole thing. Like if I am having a hard time sleeping, I may put that in because I'm, it'll knock me right out. Mm -hmm. Spawn is another one of those where it's supposed to be this visual feast and there are so many dumb things, in my opinion, that are happening in it that are combating how boring it is. And the boredom always wins out. Mm. And and to me, Spawn and Army of the Dead are very similar. One's just way longer. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're both bad, but I think I like Army of the Dead more than I like this. I, I would only like this one well now because this is only like 95 minutes. I'll take this. Yeah, but this day. one has it clowns and <laughs> yeah. John. Like, yeah, I do like Army of the Dead more than I like this yeah. one. Uh, yeah. And I don't right. like Army of the Dead, but I, I, yeah. Yeah. If if you held me down and said you got to rewatch this movie or this movie, I'm going to pick Army of the Dead. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Troy, where does this rank on our pantheon of worst films we've done? Ooh, I'd have to go back and look at that. I mean, it's, it's clear. Heavy. 
It's got to be top five. It's got to be. Oh yeah, it's top five. We've we've had some we've had some bangers though. Um, Is Supernova better than this movie? I think so. Uh, <laughs> ooh, I don't know. Now I got to go back and. Is my boss's daughter better than this movie? Doesn't Supernova oh, God, have no, a no. An abund- doesn't Supernova have an abundant amount of nudity in it? Yeah, uh, it does. there's some nudity. Yeah. I wouldn't call it an abundant amount. There is nudity. Yeah, I don't know. The, the pest and my boss's daughter still scarred me. Like I, I, I twitch every time I think about those films. And the funny you mentioned that. I watched this movie Wednesday night. I think. Yeah. Friday night, I had a nightmare or a dream about Spawn. <laughs> wow. The actual movie, just like, uh, it's like, God, this movie is like trying to kill me in my sleep all right yeah. I, I had some free time and i watched this uh when the kids were busy with something i was like okay i'm gonna tear i'm gonna i'm gonna grab a bag of chips i'm gonna grab a drink and i'm gonna watch this film i haven't seen it in 20 something years this will be fine I, i've watched way worse i don't know if i've watched anything worse this year oh i have yeah uh my boss's daughter in the past <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Jurassic World Domination or Dominion. Uh, it's not that bad. Come on. I would watch Grease 2 like 50 times in Ooh. a row. You have seen it 50 times. You know you have. Probably. No. Well, who knows? I am married to somebody. Background really. watch. Yeah, you're, you're married the to background watch. Like, it's probably yeah. been. But yeah, I would watch that 50 times in a row before I watch this thing again. Here's here's how bad I think Spawn is. I don't own it, and I never will. Oh, oh. Okay. Yeah, that's that pretty should bad. tell you. Yeah, yeah, that should tell you because that's like terrible. I told you before, I I I own movies I don't like. So yeah. Okay. I I almost I I will have to tell you all. I almost did this <laughs> on Netflix. You can watch things at like one point two five speed oh, yeah. and one and a half. Speed. I almost was like, you know what? I can watch this at one point two five speed and be just fine. I didn't because I didn't want to cheat. But I was I thought about it. I was like, mm, so here's the I, question. If there was a 4k version Dolby Atmos with all new special features, like a big hour long, like shop factory gets all this says here's an hour and a half long. So the PS one graphics could look worse. No. Okay. Here, here's the thing though. You sold me. I'd buy it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Because of that hour and a half, the hour and a half behind the scenes documentary. Uh, okay, you did of, say that. Yeah, of, every, of everything that went wrong. Yes, that's, that's the piece. I would buy I that one. Yeah. yeah. So essentially, I'm buying that film. I'm buying that documentary. I'm not buying. Yeah. I, I only own this on Blu-ray because it came in a four-pack with Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and something Mortal Kombat Legacy on Blu-ray. And this was the fourth one they squeezed in there. Mm. Why did they squeeze this into a I don't know. It was 12 bucks for four Blu-rays. I got it. There you go. That's a weird package. It stuck it in with my movie. They're they're all new line cinema releases. So that spawn movie put me to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't had that for a while. All right. It's time for the question. I'm going to start with you, Sammy. We just got done um, talking ad nauseum about this week's film, 1997 spawn. Is it a bomb? Yes. Cool. Brad, Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. 97 is one of the worst years of my life, by the way, as a lifelong University of Kentucky fan. Oh. Uh, not only did this movie come out, but the University of Kentucky would lose a national championship in Indianapolis that year while oh. I was there at the RCA Dome, Troy. Ouch. But 97 did give us Jackie Brown, so it wasn't an it entire did. loss. It okay. Yeah, it gave us some good things. I have a question I want to ask you guys. So this comes from well, a you, good... What? No, you have to say... What? 
Say it. Oh, I said, oh, it's a bomb. It's, I said, okay. we all agree. Okay, all three, we're, yeah, we're all in agreement. This thing's a bomb. Yeah. The proverbial, <clears throat> this is the proverbial turd in the punch bowl. This oh. is the atomic bomb. This is the atomic bomb. This is fat boy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we had we had some great feedback over the last few episodes. Um, I, I just want to share one piece of feedback. Um, Sammy happened to be there for my 50th birthday, and there was a band um, that my wife had found uh, that plays on the East Coast, More, More, More. And um, we have gotten to actually know them. And uh, Rob, Mike, Brian, and Sean, amazing guys. Uh, the reason my voice is a little crackly is they I were wondered, like, yeah. I was worried. I was worried I might get a text at some point today saying, hey, guys, can we go like Tuesday night? <laughs> <Yeah. Wednesday> night? <laughs> so they they had said, hey, we're, we're playing at the Chesapeake Inn. Um, I'd never been there. It was on the water on a Friday night. And of course, everybody out here is like, we got to go see him again. So we go see him. They're fantastic as, as normal. Um, and then, you know, we're talking to Rob, Mike, everybody. And they're like, Hey, tomorrow night, I think we're playing near you guys, like 15, 20 minutes away. You should, you should go there too and hang out with us. We're like, yeah, why not? Yeah. So went out there Saturday and, uh, saw him again. So we've been like, you know, roadies following these guys around at all their performances. I believe those are called groupies, Troy. Okay. <laughs> groupies, I, whatever. I, I think, I think they're called McFarlane's McFarlane's. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, they're fantastic. If anybody's on the East coast, you got, you gotta, you gotta find, uh, the Facebook page more and more, more, um, go see them. But Sean, the drummer. So I think John had been talking to him at, uh, the birthday party. Oh, and, Sean. Yeah. Yeah. That that's the guy that he, he kind of has like a little bit of a glam look going. He does. Bit. And you've, I, I got to say this, Sean is so much fun watching him play the drums. That guy is in his own world. Yeah, He's yeah, doing yeah. his twirls with the drumsticks. He's so good, He's but good. he He's just has good. this constant smile on his face. He's got his eyes closed and he is enjoying the music as much as everybody else. Right. Mm -hmm. So I guess John had been talking to him, had mentioned the podcast and this weekend was talking with Sean and he goes, yeah, um, I was listening to your podcast, the sky captain podcast. And I, I, John had said something that you guys had talked about us. And next thing you know, I ended up listening to the whole episode and, and a little bit more cause he got so into it. Um, so that was our feedback from, um, the greatest eighties, uh, cover band out on the East coast more, more, more. So there nice. you go, Brad. Nice. Those guys cool. are super nice guys. They're amazing. I mean, they're, they're so much fun just to talk to and hang out with, but my, my goodness, you could close your eyes and, uh, Mike, the lead singer sounds like Steve Perry when he's doing Oh Sherry. He does, he does a really good Steve Perry. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that they go from Kenny Loggins, Top Gun, right into the trooper by Iron Maiden and don't miss a beat is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but we did get a question. Um, somebody wrote in our good friend, Michael, and I thought this would be an interesting question for the three of us. So he says, um, Hey, not a bomb. Morbius went on to make a disappointing box office when it was first released in April, but Sony decided to re-release the film on the weekend of June 3rd, where it made a dismal $280,000. And I, I saw something where they're trying to like uh, do another Twitter campaign or something. It says, Hey, we were all busy that weekend. Can you re-release mm -hmm. it again? Uh, his question is, is there a film you've covered, which you think deserves a re-release? So when it was released in the theaters, um, maybe it didn't do so well and you think it deserved a second chance. Can you think of a movie 
um, either we've covered, or I'll even say, Sammy, even recently, you think, hey, that should have got a re-release. Man, that's a... I know mine. Okay, shoot. Mine's the, mine is Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. Oh, okay. I think it really <laughs> suffered from COVID, and I think the quality of that movie and the scale of that movie, I, I think it would play pretty well now because people yeah. are feverishly wanting to see those types of movies in the theater. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. it would do really well. Okay. Cause it lost like a hundred million dollars. It, it did. And it actually got pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. And it reviewed well. Yeah. And, I mean, besides the, the hair situation, but whatever. Okay. Yeah. I, I, this question has got me off guard, so I can't think of anything, but I mean, I, I can think I, I totally agree with Brad because that film is uh, way better than anybody thinks it is. Mm-hmm. If you just go on word of mouth or on the thought that it was a bomb, uh, that's a shame because I mean, that, that, that film is a hell of a lot better. I mean, just listen to the episode I did with these guys about that film. It's, it's really, really good. It's actually one of my favorite Ridley Scott films. I'd say at this point, I mean, it's, that's saying something. I, I agree. It's so good. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. I want to, I want to bring this up though. I know who this Michael is. Um, He's been listening to our show for a long time. Yes, I believe so. And uh, I will say this is having a young preteen boy. There is a heavy ironic phase going on right now in the young teenage boy thing of making fun of Jared Leto and Morbius being the greatest film of all time. (laughs) You don't think the studios are picking up on that? I hear this all the time. Well, there's there's a heavy social media presence for this behavior. Yeah. And I think that's why they put it back out because there's this ironic mocking of this film now although i think that that's childish and silly uh but it's coming from kids mostly so it's okay mm-hmm. i thought maybe it might generate some coin for it and i think sony did too that people would go out and see it in an ironic way um landon keeps telling me all the time he's never seen it by the way he keeps telling me all the time that it's going to be the worst film he's, that's ever been made and i keep telling him there's mm-hmm. no way you he hasn't seen no Spawn. idea yeah you have no idea and what i'll always tell him is never judge what everybody else thinks of something because i promise you that's going to be somebody's favorite superhero film of all time you might not think that but i promise you there's somebody out there right now who thinks morbius is the greatest film at one point in time i think roger ebert's favorite superhero movie was spawn yes yes so well yeah there there you go that's a good example so I really wish I could come up with something that I think should have gotten re-released in, in the theaters, but I can't count. I'm, I'm dry. I'm sorry. I'm tired. No, no, no that's fine. The, the only one I can think of, and it's in, we, I think reviewed it in the same month, uh, is Writers of Justice. It was my favorite film oh, yeah, of yeah. last year. And the reason why I bring it up is it got like a limited theatrical release in May um, for like U.S. distribution. And when award seasons start coming around, I would have loved for that one to get re-released again with a push. Because I think that film is just absolutely brilliant. And I think um, Moss Mickelson is is fantastic in that too. Or um, I, I, <laughs> I think a lot of people just call him Mads Mickelson. Yeah, um, the States, they call him Mads. Hey, Troy, like it's spelled? Yes, true. Like it's spelled Mads Mickelson. Um, I, I call him McFarlane. <laughs> McFarlane. Mads McFarlane Mickelson. Mads McFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> but the Writers of Justice is one of those that I wish had a bigger audience um theatrically it's it's so good and i feel like that's the type of film kind of like uh the full monty uh since we were talking about 1997 i mean when that hit it just had this i don't know groundswell of people talking about it 
and it hit at the right time. I, I really wish writers of justice had kind of gone through that same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that film. Yeah, I, I do too. Well, that was a fantastic conversation as always. Uh, Sammy, what's going on over at um, mother Russia's favorite podcast? <laughs> Well, we've decided we're going to, you know, lower the provisions on toilet paper. We're handing out. <laughs> okay. Um, they're only allowed to eat boiled eggs. Now we're having fun, man. We're, uh, we got, uh, what do we got coming out this week? We got, uh, geez, I can't even remember what we got. No escape. The Ray Liotta film. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. Which um, I think I just saw is getting a 4k release. Uh, it's or Blu-ray. Maybe Blu-ray. Blu-ray. I think Unearthed Films okay. is putting out yeah. Blu-ray. Yeah. yeah. It's been kind of hard to find lately. Uh, matter of fact, I think I watched it for the show. I watched it on YouTube because it's uh, literally out of print just about everywhere, except for I think there was a DVD at some point released. But yeah, I think H- for a long time. it was one of those HBO film DVD things um, yeah. that was kind of fetching a pretty good price there for a while. Yeah. And we got uh, some fun stuff coming up. We got Hideo, uh, Hideo Gosha film Violent Streets coming out uh, the week Ooh. after that. So, and some we're going to have some guests on the show. We've we've had you guys on for a couple, and we're going to. Bring some of uh, some fan favorites and some of our friends back on. Uh, Josh will be coming back around. Nice, oh, awesome. He's on your show. I don't know what he's picking. I have no idea. He's he he just messages whenever he sees what we're covering. He's always like, ah, I need to pick something. Ah. But uh, we're looking forward to talking to him again. And we're gonna have Carl Bresden from uh, Fist of B List blog. Used to be the Fist of B List blog. He doesn't really do it anymore, but he's gonna come on for Violent Streets. And we got some other folks coming on, so it's gonna be fun. You know, just talking movies, just doing what guys do. Love it. Love the show. A um, couple of shout outs to the Mixtape Podcast. They've had a lot of stuff coming out here lately. Go check them out. The Iron Sequel. Definitely go listen to James. I, it's such a fun podcast. Um, VHS Files Podcast. Uh, it's another show we promote quite a bit. Uh, I know Josh has been going through a lot of stuff. So thoughts and prayers out to you, yeah. Josh. Do well, Josh. Uh, his thoughts on Top Gun, though. So... Yeah, he he might be in that same camp that we're putting Gentleman's Guide, you know, in terms of the uh, communist socialist uh, area, which then begs the question that do Russian citizens have VHS players? Because I thought Betamax was really big over there. But um, Josh, we got to convince you Top Gun. It's good. It's good. And Maverick's fantastic. Um, Josh, you're doing nothing wrong. No, drink the Kool-Aid, Josh. Drink the Kool-Aid. Gosh, um, I, I, I saw vodka. <laughs> My only Russian impersonation. No, nah, Josh. Hey, I, I, you. I hope things get better for you, bud, and, and can't wait for you to get uh, back on the show and even get back to VHS Files, kind of releasing some more YouTube content and, and podcasts. But, Brad, if anybody wants to get a hold of us and share their thoughts on Spawn or give us any recommendations for bombs that we should be covering. And, folks, Sammy talked about this um, in October we're trying to put a theme together because we usually do spooky season. <laughs> and the idea was, well, let's let's do spooky sequels. And oh my God, is that one of the hardest things to pick because of how many horror movie sequels are so financially successful. We were trying to find that perfect combination of not just bad reviews, but they bombed at the box office. And that is... Um, that is that is tough. So if you guys it's have any ideas, impossible. yeah, if you have some ideas or things you want us to cover for October, send them in now because we're trying to put yeah. that list together. It's absolutely it's the perfect Hollywood business model. Spend less money, take a a known known quantity, spend less money, make more money. Yeah, it's great. There's we we spent a whole afternoon going, what about this film? We're like, yeah, that bombed. You pull it up, you're like, no, it made three times its budget. It's nuts. 
Um, but if you have any suggestions, let us know because we're trying to put the uh, October schedule together. But yeah, that would be uh, notabombpod at gmail.com. Um, also, we have a website. It's notabombpodcast.com. You can contact us there and Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Yes. Troy. Yeah. What are we doing next week? Well, I think we should do more comic book movies. How does that sound? Well, we picked the whole month for it. So, yes, let's do that. Oh, perfect, perfect. So, uh, my pick, I I have always said I'm a Marvel guy. I'm going to keep that trend going. So, my first film was Howard the Duck. That was the 80s. Let's go ahead and stay in the 80s. And let's do the classic 1989 The Punisher, starring the one and only Dolph Lundgren. How's nice. that sound? I must break you. Yeah. Uh, impersonation has uh, merit. And I think, um, what is the Australian Blu-ray company? Is it Umbrella Entertainment? Uh, I think so. I think that, yeah, they had put out a special edition of The Punisher, and it's a director's cut, or it has some Ooh. added footage. So that'll be the one I'm watching. And uh, if I have time, I'm going to squeeze in the other Punisher films, too. Um, but yeah, I just, I thought it'd be fun to kind of go back and revisit that. It's a time period when, um, and we talked about this, you know, when we talked about Howard the Duck, Marvel was, was just trying to get some properties out the door, um, into the theaters. And this is another really interesting story. Um, and when you're talking about, Hey, who should play Frank Castle, the Punisher, Dolph Lundgren is not the person that would come to mind, especially when you've seen, you know, movies like Rocky four. Yep. So I, I thought that would be an interesting take. Mm. Um, what else, Brad? What else we got to cover? Nothing, man. Nothing. Okay. Ford Fairlane. Todd yes. McFairlane. Cool. Well, uh, no, no, I apologize, listener. Look, it's spelled A-N-E. So it's it's Todd McFarlane. That's why we love you, Troy. Okay. Uh, no, no concerts this week. So my voice is going to get rested up. Um, I won't be, you know, shouting any Motley Crue tunes or anything. So. We'll, we'll be good to go. I, I promise next week I'll, I'll, I'll sound better. Nice. <laughs> I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thanks for downloading the episode, playing along. Send us your thoughts on Spawn. And uh, if you get some time this week, squeeze in 1989's The Punisher. And yeah. uh, join us next week for um, our thoughts on that. Don't lose your head. I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs>